בשם השם נעשה ונצליח שיעור תורה, ברוך השם, very good to be here. Aventura, we uh, have uh, our Musar Perkei Avot series continuing, we are up to 105, ברוך השם. Um, I think that uh, the situation in the world today warrants us to give you from time to time some current events. As much as I despise politics and detest business people, uh, we have to talk about both. We have to talk about uh, the things of the regular world because that's the world we live in. And it's not that I don't like every politician or every business person, uh, but it's just that unfortunately from my experience, most people, if you know them for long enough, they'll give you a reason to hate them. And predominantly the reason is because of either kavod, they want honor that's not warranted, or they want money that doesn't belong to them. And usually those are the two driving factors that motivate us today. Of course, there are other desires, whether it's food or sex or other things that are in this world. But generally those are the two things that you see and according to the Chachamim, continue to grow over time, eventually getting to the point where the money aspect doesn't matter anymore, but the kavod continues to grow with age. Meaning that as a teenager, you don't really care so much about kavod. But as an old person, all you care about is kavod. And that's why sometimes you'll see many people as they reach their older age, they won't necessarily care as much about their company, but they'll decide to run for office. Why? You don't need a job. You have plenty of money. People worked for, you know, because they need money. You have plenty of it. Why are you working? Oh, I need something to do. Okay, get a hobby. And one of the old politicians said it best. I think it was Ronald Reagan. I'm not really sure, though. Don't quote me on it. He said that, being a politician used to be a stepping stone for your real job. It used to be something you do before you get a real job in the world, before you become a lawyer, before you become a judge, before you become an entrepreneur of some kind. It used to be a stepping stone. He said, everything has been downhill when it became a career, when people made politics their career. Now, unfortunately today, politics is not just in the government. Politics is everywhere we see it, in corporate America, in corporate everywhere, and unfortunately to say in the Torah world itself. You see, many of the synagogues today have turned into political offices. They have boards of directors comprised of people that are completely chilonim, anti-Torah, actually hate God in some cases, but they're the board of directors that's going to decide what a bunch of religious people, or at least you're supposed to be if you go in a synagogue, what they should do better in order to worship Hashem. The guy hates God, he drives on Shabbat, but he's going to tell you, the, 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 the Haredi, how you're supposed to do a better job. It's politics. What's the politic part of it? Usually, if you have a lot of money, you can become a politician. In a synagogue too. In a Torah institution. In everything. 
And unfortunately, this is what taints the mentalities of speakers today that are too worried about being popular and not worried even an ounce about telling Am Yisrael what they need to hear in order to do tshuva. If you look at the prophets, from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, and even before him, all the way until the last prophet, the message has never changed. Shuvu Israel, come back on Israel, do tshuva. Do tshuva. Before it's too late, before the punishment comes, Hashem Yerachem, before bad things happen. Which means that if you're going to say anything different than any of the prophets, you're going to have to pay a deen for it. Because what you're saying is against the Torah. What you're saying is against Hashem. Now I always ask myself, if you're already going to be a speaker, and you're going to teach Torah, it's not like there's that much money in it or anything like that. I mean, I guess maybe some people that are very popular, maybe they charge for their lectures... I guess you can make a good living out of it. But there's plenty of other things to make a better living at. I'm assuming that, you know, I don't know how much these people make. I just know that if you're already going to be a speaker, why pervert the Torah? Why change? Why put your own opinion? Who cares about your opinion, Bechlal? Who died and made your opinion valuable? Where in the Torah is there a pasuk that says your opinion counts? Where? Where does it say? When did Moshe Rabbeinu in Mount Sinai tell Am Yisrael I have 613 mitzvot? By the way, one of them is your opinion counts. When? When? When did this happen? Where? I, I wasn't there. I, I read the Chumash several times. I promise you guys. I promise you guys I read it. I promise you guys I read the Gemara. I promise you I read a lot of Sfarim Baruch Hashem. Not anywhere near what I need to do, but I, I read a lot. I asked a lot of questions. No one can come up with the answer. No one has ever seen a verse in the Torah that says your opinion counts. No one. In fact, the opposite. But when you have politics and money and terrible Yetzirah influences, it taints your brain. And today we've gone to the point where it's tainted the brains of speakers and audience alike to such an extent that we don't know what's kasher, we don't know what's tameh. We spoke a little bit about this on Sunday. And it just seems the times keep getting worse by the day. Only a couple of days have passed since we saw each other. Already something else came up. So now I'm going to ask you guys a question. You tell me what you think of this letter. If you would respond. If I wrote you a letter, or anybody wrote you a letter, if Maximo Hitler wrote you this letter, Hitler wrote you this letter, would you respond to it? You tell me. I'm going to ask you this question. Shalom Aleichem Kvod Arav blank. Let's leave the name blank for now. One of my teenage students sent me a horrible message earlier today after he saw your shiur named Don't Be Afraid of Hell. That's the best part of it. That's the name of the shiur. So this student, what is he telling me? telling me that he is reconsidering remaining from 
after listening to you make Gehenom and Kafakela sound like decent places and events one should not be afraid of, as your title implies, and maybe even worth consider visiting intentionally. I'm afraid this same personal translation of Gehenom and Kafakela was made numerous times on the Chabad.org website by a few other rabbis, and my plea with them remained unheard. You can check these articles, just type hell or Gehenom on Chabad, you'll see three different articles, each one of them makes it sound like Ganeden. And by the way, I'm not allowed to comment there anymore, they remove all my comments. Continue. I took the time to watch your entire shiur, and I'm afraid to say that I understand why this innocent boy got that impression. I watched the shiur, and I'm not, uh, I'm not surprised that he thinks that Kafakela and Gainom are actually wonderful places that we should go visit, actually. With all due respect, the entire shiur is sourceless and opinion-based, misrepresenting what is mentioned in the Tanakh, Mishnah, Gemara, Zohar, Midrashim, Sifre, Chachamim, etc. Pretty much every single, every single book that was ever written by the Chachamim in the history of mankind about the topic, never said anything he said in it. 30 minutes shiur, not a single word is ever mentioned by anyone before him. Now this, this is also including the Rambam. Rambam was, was smarter than him, right? 900 years ago, he was smarter. The Ramban also, right? The Zohar Kadosh, Rabbi Shemob Yochai. Rabbi Nathan Breslev, that took uh, the Rabbi Nachman Breslev stuff. They were smarter than him, right? They didn't write any of this stuff. The Gemara, the Gemara, the people were able to revive the dead. They knew also to Allah, right? They didn't write the stuff. Nothing. It's okay. So far, you guys are following me? I understand that it is not a topic that is easy to speak about. But if you have already chosen to speak about it, and thereafter post it publicly for the world at large, then why pervert the truth of our holy Torah? Why change the Rambam's 13 principles of faith? Why make punishment seem inconsequential and uneventful when our sages have told us that we can lose our ulama ba for such behavior? Why skip the clear instructions written throughout nearly half of the Torah, such as Parashat Bechukotai, this week's parasha, Parashat Kitavo, Azinu, and others? I agree that the intricate details of Gehenom are not for everyone. But misleading the public to think that everyone is okay, regardless of what they do, is irresponsible to say the least. This was not what the Bala Tanya taught, see page 38 in the book of Tanya, nor any of the sages in our history. Please reconsider or consider relearning this difficult topic and giving a new correction, clarification, shiur, or even removing it altogether, while focusing on the rest of your shita to do kiruv. I understand that this is all coming from a good place in your heart, but for this reason, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, chapter 1, verse 11, Mishnah 11 says, Avtalyon Omer, Chachamim izaru bidivrechem. This Mishnah we learned almost a year ago, Rabotai, and I'll just I'll just read it so you see exactly what it says. I'll read it in English for you. 
Avtalion says scholars, the Chachamim, be cautious with your words, for you may incur the penalty of exile and be banished to a place of evil waters, heresy. The disciples who follow you there may drink and die. And consequently, the name of heaven will be desecrated. Meaning, Chachamim, be careful with the words that you're saying. You're teaching, you want to be a rabbi, you want to be a speaker, you want to teach Torah, no problem. Just be careful with the words that are coming out of your mouth before they come out of your mouth, not after. Why? Because people that are listening to you, they're going to say, look at this guy, he knows more than me. He read one book, two books, a thousand books, whatever he read. He knows more than me, he's a rabbi, I have to listen to him. And that guy said that it's allowed to go smoke marijuana. That guy said it's allowed to go drive on Shabbat. That guy said it's allowed to go out with a non-Jewish woman. That guy said allowed to. So I, I'm going to listen to him. Even if he said it as a joke, and if it wasn't clear that it was a joke, because some people have like sarcastic humor, a person believes, oh, he really meant it. And he takes that, it's on, it's on him, the dean's on him. That's why the Mishnah specifically says, Chachamim, you have to be very careful with the words that are coming out of your mouth. And I finalize by saying, I appreciate you reading this and wish you extraordinary success in your Kiruv efforts to help bring all of Am Yisrael back to the truth of Torah and Hashem Barach. May Hashem continue to bless you. P.S. I did a shir about the topic and understand the difficulty learning it, let alone teaching it. Now, is this a letter that you would be offended by? If you got the letter, if Hitler sent it to you, a.k.a. Yaron Ruven, let's say, let's say, he sent it to you, would you be offended by it? Please tell me, I'm trying to get like positive, I'm, I'm trying to get like real feedback. I need help here, guys. Somebody online. Okay, you guys are not here. Somebody over here. What's wrong with medical cannabis? It has nothing to do with the topic. Pesach, please focus on the subject. If you, if you got this letter for me, from a aton, from a donkey, sent you something, okay? He sent you this letter. If you heard what I said, are you offended by it? Would you respond to it? Is it seem important enough to respond to if your job is a Kiruv person and a person is now doing, not Kiruv, Richuk. He's now leaving. Your job is to get people to do tshuva. Now your speech caused somebody to not do tshuva, do she'ela. You should care about this, right? There's a little boy, 15, 16 years old. He's saying, you know what, I'm going to leave. I'm going to heck with it. If I don't have to do it, why should I do it? If you care so much about Hashem, about Torah, about mitzvot, about Am Yisrael, you should care enough to respond, right? Meaning that even if you're as busy as, let's say, me, let's say, and you don't really sleep much, and you don't really have time for your family or even to go to the bathroom sometimes, but let's say you're even busier than me. If it takes you a day, two days, three days, four days, five days, the answer, okay, fine. But after a week, you got to it, No. So that's why, Rabotai, this is very upsetting. It's been over a week. And not only have I sent it once, I sent it three times. And I sent reminders. And I'm just not getting a response. And a little boy is in danger because of the stupidity that comes out of people's mouth. 
and they start translating the Torah according to their liking. And this is a very dangerous type of teaching. Now, the person that actually did this shiur, you'll find that on your own, it's very easy. His name is Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. He's a very well-known rabbi from Chabad, like the other people that wrote a similar article. But until now, he sounded like a decent human being, meaning that he's not translating the Torah according to whatever he feels like it. He tells people nice things and bad things and this thing and that thing, and he tells them stuff. He doesn't talk about gay norm, not until now. Now I wish he never did. So, why do I mention this? The reason is, is because if someone that's mentally unstable, like this Dror Kasuto, or this Dwek, come out to the public and tell them you're allowed to go and smoke marijuana before you learn Torah or at all, unless it's for medical purposes, real medical purposes, not like the perceived ones. Or this dweck that says that homosexuality is the best thing that's ever happened. Or some of this other nonsense that people come up with. Everybody knows this is a mentally unstable person. We're not going to take him seriously. He looks like he's smoking marijuana during this year. I'm going to take him seriously. Anyone that's serious about Yirat Shamayim, about Avodat Hashem, about Tshuva, is not going to take a guy that looks like that and acts like that and says things like that seriously. Unless you're just like him. Unless you're just like him. Forget about the way they speak. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't a good speaker. It has nothing to do with speaking. It has to do with what you're saying, what's coming out of your mouth. You're saying to people that uh, take your wife to the beach on Shabbat, all types of chushtuyot. No one's going to take him seriously if that person is serious themselves. But the people say, oh, I love him. He's great. Okay, you're just like him. You deserve him. Stay with him. Donate to him. Give your whole life to him. Why? You're going to be together anyway. Gain home. I can't help you. I can't help people like this. People say, oh yeah, he's so motivating. To what? To do marijuana? What? To make Khalid Shabbat? What is he motivating? How is he motivating to what? To be a goy? What is he motivating you to do? Like some of these like so-called Torah speakers that are really motivational speakers. Like why is he so motivating? He's like the Jewish Tony Robbins. But that's not what Ami Sal is looking for. The, 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 the prophets didn't say we, not, we want a motivational speaker to, to motivate us to make more money. That's never been our problem, Babutai. Jews never had a problem with making money. We had a problem with Hashem. We don't need motivational speakers. This is not marketing firms. So, but if it's a speaker like that, only a few are going to take him seriously. When it's a speaker that looks more religious than any of us, and he tells you you have nothing to worry about kafakela or genom, and the sages were just exaggerating to scare you. Or better yet, there's no such thing as fire. It's just that you're being distant from Hashem. That's already genom. You're not doing. You're not doing uh, mitzvot. That's already genom. But that's it. There's no fire. There's no nothing. That's just shtuyot. In other words, this is kfirah. This is, this, is, this is just changing the Torah. 
This is changing the ikah. This is taking the 13 principles of faith, putting manure on it, and giving it to the goyim to eat or something. I don't know what he's going to do with this Torah. It's not from Israel. Lo bashamaymi. Lo bashamaymi. This is not a Torah from Shamaim. Now, every year, Hashem Barach has mercy on us to no end. But a few times a year, He has a lot of mercy on us to such an extent that He tells you that even your little five, six, seven, eight, nine year old has to learn the same thing as Abba and Ima that are 25 and 35 and 45 and 50 year old. What? You have to learn this week's parasha. What parasha is it? Parashat Bechukotai. Parashat Bechukotai, Rabotai, Yekarim, if you are blind, deaf, and stupid, you still can't misunderstand it. Why? Hashem says, "Im bechukotai telechu, ve'et mitzvotai tishmoru, ve'asitem otam." First verse of the parasha: If you will follow my decrees and observe my commandments and perform them, already we see there's three different deeds here. First and foremost, know that the commandments are not just for home; you have to take them somewhere else too, at work. In, in the kolel, in the yeshiva, in the gym, in the everywhere. Observe my commandments. Meaning, obs- he doesn't say observe whatever you feel like. Observe whatever you like. Observe whatever is good for this generation. Observe whatever the rabbi tells you. But if he doesn't say it, you don't have to do it. He doesn't say that. He says, observe my commandments. Meaning everything. And perform them. What does he mean perform them? He just said observe. He just said follow. What do you mean perform? It becomes kol kulo. It has to be you have to be encompassed by the mitzvot. That's your life. That's your mission. That's your performance. You wake up in the morning. What? Perform mitzvot. Why are you waking up in the morning? Perform mitzvot. You're not waking up in the morning to go work on Wall Street. You're not. You're not waking up in the morning to go work in uh, uh, Fifth Avenue. You are waking up in the morning to perform mitzvot. That's your role in the world. If you think you have a different role in the world, you have a problem. Now, if you do all of this, he gives you 13 different verses of, of, of kindness, of blessings. On the other hand, if you don't, he gives you 49 different verses of curses and punishments that you don't even want to hear, let alone read. But you have to at least once a year. To such an extent that anyone that understands the simplicity of what it says, I'm not talking about the secret, the Midrashim, the what the Zohar says, what the Kabbalah No, no, no. I'm talking about basic, literal translation. What does he say? If you don't do my mitzvot, you're going to get to a point where you're going to get to such level of starvation, you're going to have to eat your kids. Any mother or father that has ever had a child in their hands automatically has almost a half a heart attack, just thinking about such a thing. Now Hashem said, you have to read this every year. And it's not the only time in the Torah that it says it. It says it several times. And it's not only once in this parasha, it's several times in this parasha. And this is just one of the punishments. And this happened many times. It happened in the Bet HaMikdash HaRishon. Shani, the first one, the second one, the Spanish Inquisition, the Holocaust, just 70 years ago. Yeah, the stuff no one likes to talk about. It happened. And it's going to continue to happen if we don't wake up. 
Genom is not just a some mystical place somewhere else that some people want to talk to you about to scare you. What do they get out of it anyway? It's a real thing. It could be in this world, it could be there, or it could be both. Depends on you. So when a speaker takes the podium and he decides to change the Torah and tell you you have nothing to worry about, that's the best part. Every normal human being will say, if I have nothing to worry about, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say, bless Hashem that He didn't make me a Goy. I'm going to say, hopefully I'm going to become a Goy now because I don't have to worry about anything anyway. Why should I be a Jew? Why should I keep mitzvot if I have nothing to worry about? You just change the entire Torah. Hashem said you have a lot to worry about. A lot. Not just a little. You have a lot to worry about. That's part of the job. So this is dangerous. This is, if, a, if a person decides to change the Torah to such an extent, I can't tell you that you're allowed to listen to anything else they say. Because even if there's something kasher that comes out of somewhere that's tameh, that's a problem. Bezat Hashem, he does respond. Bezat Hashem, he does actually retract this statement and say, by the way, guys, I misspoke, I made a mistake, and move on. No problem. It's nothing personal against him or anybody. But the reality is when you're taking the responsibility of Am Yisrael on your shoulders as a speaker, you have no idea how many people are going to listen to your shiul. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be in a year from now, six years from now. At some point, you decide to put it online. Meaning it's no longer just a few victims that you brought to your shiur. It's other people are now victims. They're going to press, listen, I want to do tshuva. Okay, this year is scary. Talks about gay. No, talks about wasting seed. Shabbat. Ah, this guy's crazy. Okay, you know what? This other guy. Oh, look, this guy's also a rabbi. His beard's better looking than his. He says you have nothing to worry about. And the title, I already know the end. I'm going to watch this one. I'm going to watch this one. And he watches it and he's eating popcorn. Wow, it's a great Hashem Yitbarach. Yishtabach Shem Oliyad. He starts thinking, Mishem Amin Lo Mefached. What? He just finished Shuvah. He started and finished Shuvah all in one shield. And he's going back with the Goya. And he's going back to eating pig. And he's going back to cheating and stealing. And there's nothing to be worried about. He doesn't even have to worry about reading Parashat Shavuah. Why? It doesn't apply to him. He just became a Christian. He just became a Christian. That's Christianity. And that's why, in my opinion, today, Rabotai, we have a very, very dangerous, dangerous mission, each one of us, to decipher what's kasher and tameh as far as anything that's available today. If it's not a book from previous generations, from people that are known to be serious chachamim, serious tzadikim, we're talking about the Gemara, the Mishnayot, the uh, Sifret Tzadikim, the Gdolei Ador, if it's anybody of this generation, including myself, don't think I'm excluded, I mean it also. If someone says something and there's no source that's verified, you're obligated to not listen. Obligated to not listen. And today, unfortunately, everyone looks the same. I just heard that the head rabbi in the UK publicly announced that we're going to teach Christianity in Jewish schools now there. I mean, I don't know what's happening to the world, but it just seems like every day the Orach Haim HaKadosh 
gets more and more right. He says we're going to get to the 50th level of Tumah. We're getting there fast. We're getting there fast. I think we're even past 50. I think even he's surprised. Like, wow, these guys are really bad. Now, you're responsible for yourself. You cannot blame your rabbi. You have to know that if you chose to listen to me, then you'll have to deal with the consequences that comes with listening to me. If you chose to listen to Y.Y. Jacobson, or Drol Kasuto, or Dweck the Drek, or anybody else, you'll have to go up to Shemaim and tell them, this is what I learned. This is what I did based on this. So then a uh, of Shemaim is going to say to you, okay, let's see what you learned. Okay, this, uh, what? what is his name? Yaron? Okay, this Yaron guy. What did he say? Don't drive on Shabbat. Okay, you know what? This is something to Don't drive on Shabbat. Okay, Chazak, good. Fast. Okay, why got Jacobs? What did he say? No genome. Oh, he said no genome? It's right here. Let me show you. Come, come. Come. Come, let me show you. It's right here. It's right. It's right. Come, come. I'll show you. So I'll show you. Okay, so you have a problem with the second one. Okay. Draw. What did he say? Oh, smoke marijuana on Shabbat with your wife on the beach. Okay. There you go. Let me show you. Genome also again. Come, come back to genome again. Shoot. You're going to have to pay for it. Can't say he taught me this and I did this. There's no, there's no excuses, Rabotai. Ignorance is not an excuse you can use in Shemaim. So now, a lot of people talk about Mashiach to no end. They love to talk about Mashiach. And unfortunately, some people get a little cuckoo. They lose it a little bit. Mamash, they look at it. You, you talk so much about things that are so far away from reality that you start living that reality that you've invented in your head. Now, of course, we are. it's one of the 13 principles of faith that the Mashiach, you have to believe that Mashiach will come any day. Tomorrow, the next day, a week from now, a year from now, whenever. But you have to believe that he's going to come in any given day and you have to be prepared because of that. Prepared meaning you have to chuva every day, Prepared meaning that you have to must be ready to make those difficult decisions, like moving, like changing, like whatever it is that needs to happen. But some people are so excited that they think that they forget about what actually is going to happen. So start thinking Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. They turn their rabbi into the Mashiach. They turn their uh, old rabbis, living rab, excuse me, living rabbis, dead rabbis, everybody. They turn themselves into Mashiach. At least one Mashiach, at least one Mashiach a week calls me. And since I don't answer my phone, they send me an email message. They tell me how much they think they're the Mashiach. I have one Mashiach a week. Baruch Hashem, the Nevoah, the, the, the prophecy of false, uh, of false prophets happening at the end of days. I see it, Mamash, live every week. Every week there's at least one or two Mashiachs that send me something. But sometimes people that mean well lose it. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know, I don't know any other way to describe it. But they just are so sold into this own mentality that the Mashiach will come on any given day that they ignore reality. So over the last, I don't know, it's been a few weeks, someone has been sending me a few videos of specific rabbi and uh, saying certain things. I really don't have the time to watch these videos. From whatever the person said, I said, I don't know whether he said it or he didn't say it, but whatever he said, it doesn't sound right if he said it. If he didn't say it, then you don't sound right. You misunderstood. But it wasn't kfirah. It wasn't to the point where it became like 
But I, it just didn't sound just weird, strange. But a lot of people say weird and strange things. I'm sure I've said some weird and strange things in my life. But then just the other day, this is yesterday actually, somebody sends me a message. Look, Donald Trump, so this rabbi decided Donald Trump is the Gilgul of Esav. He's the reincarnation of Esav. And he is going to do tshuva. He's doing tshuva. And he's going to save Yaakov. He's going to save Am Yisrael. And he's going to eliminate the need for Gogu Magog. There's no more Gogu Magog. And by the way, in case this wasn't already far-fetched, there is a Midrash that says that Esav is going to do tshuva, but not all of Esav, and not the leader. But anyway, it's a different story. It's a different story. If this wasn't far-fetched, that Donald Trump is Esav in the Gilgul, as if we know such things, and he's going to save Yaakov, as if we know such things, all of this elimination of Gog and Magog, when is it going to happen, guys? When is it going to happen? You're thinking, a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, it's a, you, that's like the scientists. The scientists, how they buy themselves more grants, they tell you, dinosaurs, 20 billion years. The other guy says 25 billion. The more time you have, the more opportunities you have to be right eventually. No, this guy put everything on the line. What did he say? It's all going to happen on the 12th of this month, meaning in three days from now. Three and a half days from now. Everything is going to happen in three and a half days. <laughs> Ah, everything. He's going to eliminate the need for Gogo Magog in three days from now. On the 12th. And there's going to be an extra step on the 14th. I don't understand, Rabotai. I don't understand. I don't understand what happened. What happened? Where did you come up with this stuff? Where does it say you're allowed to say such things? What happened to us? Just take us out of this already. What do we have? To, what do we have left? Looking, this is the religious people. If it's the it's the, the, the secular that don't know Aleph Bet Bichlal, okay, what do they what do you expect? This is the religious people. This is the ones that call themselves Tamidechachamim, rabbis. Now, if that wasn't enough to say that Donald Trump is Gonna save everything, save the day, save this. May, might as well make a Mashiach. In three days from now. In three days from now. Like seriously, three days. You're putting everything on the line three days from now. Like in three days from now, people are either gonna be doing tshuva or jumping off of a bridge. Did anyone that believe this guy? To connect anything to Donald Trump as far as as far as being Mashiach is completely ridiculous. There's a verse in the Torah about people like him. I don't have anything against them personally, but it says in the Torah, It's disgusting to Hashem anyone that is arrogant. He's the father of arrogance. Arrogance calls him every morning. He's like, you want me, you want any help? He goes, no, no, I got all of you. I'm all, I'm all good. I got everything. I'm good. He's the father of arrogance. You want him to be savior of anything relating to the Torah? Why? Because he's a president and because he went to Jerusalem or he's going to Jerusalem or he's... Who cares? Some people have taken it further and they decided there's a place called Kile Hashem HaMelucha 
also people that call themselves religious, they decided, no, it's not enough that Trump is Esav, Gilgul, it's not enough. No, no, they're Machmirim. What? Trump is the Mashiach. That's what they said. Trump is the Mashiach. He's the Mashiach. They have a video. Trump is the Mashiach. Why? Because the Gimatria of Trump and Mashiach Ben David is the same thing. Therefore, he's Mashiach. The numerical value, if you add the letters for the name Donald Trump and the words Mashiach Ben David add to the same value, and therefore, he's Mashiach. This is his, I mean, Ribbono Shel Olam, Tigal save us please from these people. Save us from these people. How does anybody take these people seriously? Donate to these places, post their stuff on, on the internet, uh, even repeats the information. How does anybody take this stuff seriously? Is there really a, such a high need for crazy people in the world? Now, there's another place, another group of people that decided that this guy, this African guy, who claimed to be a king in Africa, now when it came out, I myself, I said, oh wow, this is great, there's an African king that says he's Jewish and there's going to be a lot more Jews in the world. I even publicized it, no problem. But when did I stay away and put it on a do not call list? As soon as they said, he's the Mashiach. The African guy is the Mashiach, and he is still Safek Jewish, Bechlal. We're not even sure if he's Jewish. He still believes in J.C. Penny. He still believes in him. He's doing a lot of things that are... What, we have like a, a shortage of crazy people? We need to add another one? Now, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough, guys. That wasn't enough. Baruch Hashem, today we got a very, very special... WhatsApp message. You know, if, if it's on WhatsApp, it must be true. If it's on text, it must be true. If it's on the internet, for sure true. It's like nevoah. It's like prophecy. Someone sends a mass text. Please, Rabbi such and such. I'm not going to mention his name because I do have kavod for the rabbi. It's not his fault. I'll tell you why in a second. And you'll know, you'll agree with me why it's not his fault. Rabbi such and such had a dream last night. And his grandfather came to him in a dream and he said, Mashiach is coming any day. Please, if you want to be saved from the Chavle Mashiach, from the growing pains of Mashiach, you must deliver this message to 12 people on WhatsApp. <laughs> That's the way you're going to be saved from the, the, the pains of Gogu Magog and anything. You don't have to keep Shabbat, you don't have to do Tshuva, nothing. Now, how do I know this is not true? How do I know he didn't have the dream? How do I know he didn't have the dream? How do I know? Not, how, what am I, a prophet? I was, I was there in his dream. I knew what dream he had. How do I know he didn't have the dream? And definitely not last night. How do I know? Because he's dead. He died years ago. How could he have a dream about his grandfather if he already died a few years ago? How? How, how, how could he have a dream? Well, you're going, you're going to Ganeda and you see what they're dreaming over there. This stuyot that people come up with, you're going to save yourself from Mashiach and Gogu Magog and all the things because you passed a WhatsApp message? Uh, you, is, this, is this serious? Is anyone really taking this stuff seriously? You really think this is Torah of Am Yisrael? This is Torah Moshe? Is this what we've gone to? We've gone to this 
You don't have to worry about bad. You don't have to worry about this. You, you can, all you have to do is pass on a WhatsApp message and you're good to go. It's like, come on, please save us already from these crazy people. Save us from these crazy people. So, Rabotai, the reality is that there are two things we need to know. One, there's some things that cause the war, which we'll talk about because that's the Mishnah. But there's also certain things that will happen after the war. Now, no one that's talking today is greater than the Rambam, or even the shoe of the Rambam. And even more so, Kalvachomer needs to say what the Gemara and the Mishnayot said. This is what it says. It's not me, it's not Yaron Ruven. This is what it says. The Rambam, Ilchot Melachim, Perek Yudbet, Alacha Bet. The Ilchot Melachim in Mishnah Torah of the Rambam, chapter 12, the second Alacha. I'll read it word for word for you guys so you just see it for yourself. Our sages have said that there is no difference between this world and the days of the Mashiach except our subservience to the kingdoms of the world alone. Meaning, nothing is going to change in a sense of the physicality of the world right away. Other than the fact that we are no longer going to be in the exile. Not necessarily just we're not going to be outside of Israel, but we're not going to be subservient to Trump and Obama and Osama and all these people. So to think that they're part of the plan is completely crazy to begin with. But let's continue. From the plain meaning of the words, the Rambam writes, from the plain meaning of the words of the prophets, we understand that at the beginning of the days of Mashiach, there will be the war of Gog Umagog. Rabotai, WhatsApp is not going to save you from Gog Umagog. And neither is Donald Trump. And neither is J.C. Penny. Only thing that's going to save you from Gogo Magog is doing tshuva. It's the only thing. It's still going to happen. You're just going to be saved from it. But eliminating it, stopping it, all of that stuff, where they get this from, I have no idea. Because this is alakha. This is not like an opinion. He's not writing a philosophical book. This is alakha, meaning this is Moshe Mount Sinai. Nobody was like Moshe. Before the war of Gog and Magog, a prophet will arise to correct Israel and prepare their hearts. As it says in Malachi 3.23, Behold, I will send Eliyahu, Eliyahu Navi. He will not come to make the pure impure. Meaning he's not coming to test you. If you already did tshuva, he says, oh, let me test you, see if I'm going to send you to go drive from here to the store on Shabbat, see if you do it. No, he's not going to come in and test you. Nor to purify the impure. If you didn't do tshuva, he's not going to help you. He's going to tell you, oh, listen, you didn't do tshuva? Okay, no, no, do chatanu avinu Okay, you're good, 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 come on, come in. If you didn't do tshuva already by then, you're finished. You're finished. This is the thing for me, it's the scariest. There's no more time. Imagine, you're out of time. 
But no one's giving you a preparation. Hey, by the way, sir, you have five minutes left. No. You're out of time officially. One day you wake up, you turn on the, you, you put on, open the window, out of time. Finished. This is the scariest thing in the world if you think about it. Nor disqualify people who are presumed to have legitimate lineage. Nor qualify those who are disqualified. He's not going to be the one that's going to tell you, no, this one is a mamzer, his mom is really, had some, not going to come to do that either. It's a different story. He will only come to bring peace to the world, as it says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers on the children. Malachi 3.24 Some of the sages say that Eliyahu will come before the coming of the Mashiach. But regarding all of these matters and similar no one knows how it will be until it will be. Again, regarding all of these matters, no one knows how it will be until it will be. Anyone that talks about what's going to happen after Mashiach comes is completely fooling you. Why? No one knows. That's what the Rambam says. Why no one knows? How does he know no one knows? For these matters were unclear to the prophets. Even the prophets, Moshe Rabbeinu, didn't know. Yaakov Avinu wasn't allowed to tell. Gemara Masech Psachim says Yaakov Avinu wanted to tell his, uh, his sons, what's going to happen when Mashiach comes? Hashem took away his Ruch HaKodesh. Don't tell him nothing. You don't know now anymore. But I knew. Now you don't know. Now you don't know. Why? I don't want anyone to know. Even the sages themselves did not have a tradition regarding these matters, and only could attempt to understand the verses. Thus, there were disagreements on these matters. How do you know they don't know? Because you see there's different opinions of what's going to happen after Mashiach comes. Some people say we're still going to have children. Some people say we're not going to have children. Some people say we're going to eat. Some people say we're not going to eat. It's different. Why? There's no tradition available. There's no Torah available. What's going to happen after Mashiach comes? There's tr- everything we have is up to the point of Mashiach. There's Gogu Magog, there's all types of uh, problems going to happen in the world, and so on and so forth. But once Mashiach is here, no, everything else is speculation. There's different opinions. And they read the verses to understand. But it was at that point, anything, anyone that's telling you, I think this is going to happen, this is going to happen, yeah, you think, but there's no, it's, it's just your opinion. Even if the Rabbi Akiva agreed with you, even he himself says, this is my opinion, this is not uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not from Mount Sinai. We didn't get this from Mount Sinai. Thus, there were disagreements in these matters. Nevertheless, neither the order that these events will occur, nor their details are fundamental to the religion. For all of those that are spending their countless hours learning about Mashiach, Rambam just told you, you're wasting your time completely. Why? It's not one of the fundamentals of Judaism. It's not one of the fundamentals of serving Hashem at all. Who says you're going to survive Bichlal? Thus, a person must never busy himself with the Agadot, meaning the stories, and not dwell on the Midrashim regarding these matters or similar issues. He must not make them a dogma, meaning this is, you can't make this, this is your life, you're talking about Mashiach non-stop, Mashiach, 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 enough, that's why, that's one of the biggest errors of Chabad, talking about the Rebbe being Mashiach, aside from the fact that it's a mistake to begin with, the fact that your whole world is depending on it already shows that you have no time for Judaism, 
You have no time for Torah. That's why a lot of the people that scream, Mashiach, 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 you ask them, okay, what parasha is it this week? Oh, I don't know. Let me check Mashiach. Let me call him. There are no parasha is. Oh, can, can, you, can you peel eggs on Shabbat? Uh, yeah, why not? How can you peel it? Like, yes, how, how can you peel eggs? Just peel the egg. What's the problem? No, that's a problem. Where do you put the peel? You put it into a bowl and then throw it out. No, not allowed. Why not allowed? Because if all if what you're doing is you're taking the egg peel and you're putting it into a bowl, you have made the bowl a clee, a tool, a utensil that holds mukse. And now the bowl is no longer usable for that Shabbat. You have just violated Shabbat. You have just violated Shabbat. And you think you're keeping Shabbat. So if you're so focused on, on, on Mashiach, how are you going to keep Shabbat? How are you going to keep Tarat Mishpacha? How are you going to develop your Midot? How are you going to do anything? There's no time. For these do not result in either love for God nor fear of sin. Learning about Mashiach is not going to help you with either loving Hashem or fearing Him. Nothing. It's not going to help you with anything. No, no, but I get scared once I think Mashiach is going to come and I get scared, I do Tshuva. I'm like, you don't need Mashiach for that. You can just die. Death happens regardless of time. Then you get your personalized Mashiach. The whole world doesn't have to be saved just for you to see Mashiach. You get your own personal Mashiach tomorrow. Who promised you tomorrow? Similarly, one should not calculate the ends. This is the most important part of everything I'm saying to you. One should not calculate the ends, meaning you should never calculate when the Mashiach is going to come. Why? To what extent? Is it just not allowed? Our sages have said that the spirit of those who calculate the ends will expire. Meaning they're cursing whoever calculates the end. The guy says, yeah, this year Mashiach is going to come. When? It, uh, you know, in October. Elul, he's going to come. You just, all the sages in Shemaim are saying, and after that they're going to curse you. Why? What are you doing? Lobo Shemaimi, you don't have a Torah from Shemaim. You don't have a Torah from Shemaim. You're starting to calculate things, specifically said you're not allowed to do such thing. Rather, one is to simply wait and believe in the principle of this matter as we have explained. Now, this Rabbi Joshua Strulowitz wrote, I uh, used a few sources of different things, different places of how it talks about warning to predict Mashiach. One of them is the Gemara Maseret Psachim, as I mentioned, page 56a. Yaakov Avinu loses his Ruach HaKodesh when he tries to tell his sons, which were all prophets, what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. Clearly Hashem telling us, He doesn't want us to know. The prophet Daniel, chapter 7, verse 27 and 28. Again, here we see that Hashem takes away anyone's ability as far as prophecy or Ruach HaKodesh or anything, when it comes to the issues of Mashiach. Does not want us to know when and how He's going to come. Does not want us to know. Because that also removes the uh, free choice. Yes, there are many clues in the Torah of who and what and when, and it's supposed to be soon, all that stuff. Yes, I agree with that also. But to put an actual date on it, like in three days from now, Gogu Magogu will be cancelled, and in a year from now, Mashiach will come, and in a week, all these different things that people do, you're not only going against Torah, you're leading people to jump off a cliff. 
Now, if anyone thinks that I'm joking and I'm being uh, facetious about the issue of jumping off a cliff, I'm not. It's actually a story that happened 1,500 years ago. Moshe of Crete, there was a Rasha Merusha that told people that he's the Gilgul of Moshe Rabbeinu, or he is Moshe Rabbeinu himself reincarnated. And if they donate everything they have to him and so on, he's going to split the ocean for them and so on and so forth. He's the Mashiach. He's Moshe and he reincarnated. How are you going to prove it? There's no YouTube. There's no internet. People believed him. People sold their, their souls to Mamash. They believed him. Okay, he's Moshe. He says he's Moshe. Why, should he? Why is he going to say he's Moshe? So let's believe it. People believed him. And then he led them to a cliff. He goes, yeah, the water's over there. It's below us. Let's just go. Don't worry. I'm going to split the ocean. I'm going to split the ocean. It's going to save you. Hundreds and hundreds of people jump off the cliff. And died. No one saved. No one no saved. No, no, no miracles. Died. Meaning, Ivelet Adam Tesalev Darko. Shlomo HaMelech says to us, Yikarim, the stupidity of man will cause a person to sin, do things that are against Hashem, and then he gets mad at Hashem for punishing him. Who told you to put a date? Who told you he's Mashiach? Who told you to focus on these things? Anaf. Focus on doing tshuva. Focus on doing tshuva. Focus on not lying. Focus on not cheating. Because those are the reasons of why Gogu Magog must happen. This Mishnah in Avot tells us exactly why. Now this Mishnah in Avot, chapter 5, verse uh, Mishnah uh, 12, it says the following. Translation. This is a very, very deep Mishnah that Bezat Hashem will have the success in the Siyat Dishmaya to complete it tonight, if we can. You even understand 10% of it is good. At four periods of the seven-year sabbatical cycle, Pestilence increases. Pestilence, for anyone who hasn't looked it up in the dictionary, means like an epidemic, like a disease. A disease that's very infectious and so on. So at four periods of the seven-year sabbatical cycle, pestilence increases. In the fourth year, in the seventh year, in the year following the sabbatical year, and annually, at the conclusion of the Sukkot festival. It says during this time where there's punishment that comes to the world, the world is in cycles, seven-year cycles, Shemitah cycles, the punishment increases. The difficulty increases at specific times. 
specific times. And now it's going to tell us why. It increases in the fourth year. It increases in the seventh year. It increases following the sabbatical year and also annually. Meaning every year, but every specific time within a year, there is situation goes from bad to worse. Why? In the fourth year of the Shemitah cycle, for neglecting the ma'asel, the tithe of the poor in the third year. Meaning, you made sins on the third year. You didn't do tshuva. Fourth year, Allah alecha. Fourth year, you're getting your punishment. In the seventh year, for neglecting the ma'asel, the tithe of the poor in the sixth year. Sixth year, you, did, you, didn't, you didn't give ma'asel again. You didn't do tshuva. Seventh year, Hashem will close the account with you. Immediately, following the sabbatical year, for, follow, for violating the laws of the sabbatical produce, every year that you don't follow the sabbatical laws properly, meaning instead of giving the produce that you have to the poor, you give it to yourself or to your family. You give your maaseh only to your family. You don't give it to the poor. You don't give it to the needy. He says every year you're going to get nice, nice, Chapcha to the face. Why? Oh, I'm sorry. So this is following sabbatical year. And annually at the conclusion of the festival of Sukkot. Why? For robbing the poor of their gifts. The last part is the most ironic. If what you're giving the poor is not theirs, it's yours. Why is it saying they're, you're robbing them? You didn't give it to them. How are you robbing them? You didn't give them anything. So why are you robbing them if it's not theirs? If something is yours and I took it from you, I robbed you. If something is mine, you took it from me. You robbed me. But if something is mine and I just decide not to give it to you, I'm not robbing you. But the Mishnah says you are. And we'll get to it. Now, the Rashbats from approximately 600 years ago, I think, says, notice that it's not saying that the epidemic, this disease, this punishment, is coming. It doesn't say, the devil, it doesn't say that the uh, pestilence is coming. What does it say? A devil mitrabe. It says the pestilence increases, meaning it's already been here, and now it's just going to get worse. You already got punished, and now Shem is turning up the notch a little bit. Why? Because it's already been here, and it's now increasing as a result of measure for measure, for one who did not take advantage of the opportunity to help the poor at opportune times, and now... They're going to die at opportune times. Just like they didn't help the poor at opportune times when it was necessary, when the poor were expecting help and needing of help, Hashem says there's opportune times that I'm going to punish you instead. This is midah keneged midah, measure for measure. In essence meaning, no tshuva leads to punishment getting worse. So the fact that He already gave you a punishment, you didn't get the message... Now the, the message will get much stronger.
Now the most important thing that a person would need to understand about the laws of Shemitah is that even during times of difficulty for the entire nation, there's a famine, there's a uh, poverty, there's a market crash, or so on, it does not cancel out the laws of Shemitah. It does not absolve you from having to take care of the poor. Even if you're suffering, even if your income went down 90%, it doesn't make a difference. You still have the responsibility of taking care of the poor. And poor doesn't only mean poor materially. It could also mean poor spiritually. People that need your help, but they're only going to get your uh, get help if you donate money to uh, for them to go to kolal. If you donate money for them to do tshuva and so on. It's not just poor people that don't have food in their house. So it says that the nation, the, the Tosfot Yom Tov, says that even during times like this, the nation must feel a special responsibility to help the poor. Why? Because they suffer more than anyone else during crisis. And if they're ignored, pestilence will intensify. Meaning that by helping the poor during the difficulty is exactly what Hashem wants you to do. Nothing is achieved in this world unless there is sacrifice. Unless there's mesirut nefesh. Giving tzedakah after you made a million dollars this year is not chokhmah. It's not a very big deal, Bechlal. It's not a big deal that you gave tzedakah after you have a bunch of money. It's not a big deal. Hashem gave you a bunch of money. A donkey would give tzedakah already with a bunch of money. What's chokhmah? When you don't have a bunch of money. When it's difficult. When you have to decide... I used to go out to eat steak once a week. Now it's either I'm going to go out to eat steak for a hundred bucks once a week, or I'm going to use that hundred bucks to get Amisa to do tshuva. Yeah, but what am I going to eat? You can eat a burger for ten bucks. So now you save ninety dollars, not because you don't want steak all of a sudden. You still like the steak. You like it even more now that you can't have it. Maim gnuvimim taku. But say I have to make a sacrifice. Why? Because Hashem wants more Jews, not more me eating steak. It's not chokhmah, it's not a big genius thing, or a big tzaddikud, you're not a big tzaddik, if you had a big year in the stock market, and now you're going to be gift tzedakah. Hashem doesn't want your tzedakah. It's, tzedakah is when it's difficult, when you have to make a sacrifice. Avraham Avinu did not become Avraham Avinu until he sacrificed his life. Why is the, the Brit Milah called Brit Avraham? Why? Why do we call Brit Avraham? Now, how come we don't say it's Brit Moshe Rabbeinu? Technically, we got Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu. We didn't get Torah from Avraham Avinu. So how come the Brit Milah that Hashem calls, this is my covenant, Beniu Benechem. This is the covenant between us. How come he says Brit Avraham? The Brit Milah is after Avraham Avinu. Now, if you say he's the first one, I said, okay, he's the first one. Ishmael, technically, was also there. Why didn't he call it Ishmael? Why didn't you call it one of the other servants? Why is it Brit Avram? Because only Avram was willing to sacrifice his life for Brit Milah. Once he was willing to sacrifice his life and jumped into the fire of Nimrod, sacrifice his life for Hashem, Avram became Avram. Why is Torah Moshe 
call Torah Moshe? How come it's not called Torah Aaron? He was there. How come it's not called Torah Yeshua Benun? He was also a leader. How come it's not called Torah David? Torah David, David Amelech, Moshiach. How come? How come it's called Torah Moshe? Because Rabotai Yekarim, only Moshe Rabbeinu was willing to sacrifice his life for the Torah. The Chachamim ask a question. How come Hashem put us in Egypt for 210 years? Why couldn't He just send Moshe Rabbeinu after a year? Why do we have to go to Egypt for 210 years? Why, He couldn't bring Moshe Rabbeinu for 200 years? Hashem can do anything. You're here now, you're not here tomorrow. You're not here today, you're here today. He can do anything He wants. He is everything. The Ramban at the end of Parashat Bo puts a commentary and he says, the prince, the foundation, the foundation of our entire Torah is for you to know that everything is a miracle. Everything. There is no such thing as nature. If you think anything is in your hands, you confirm the Torah. So meaning that Hashem could have brought Moshe Rabbeinu after a year, after a week. Why do we have to suffer for 210 years? Why couldn't He just make God... Yosef, Yosef a tzaddik, he was already tzaddik. Hashem testified. Make him Mashiach. Why couldn't he make Ruven? Would be good for me. Ruven be the Mashiach. Why couldn't Ruven be the Mashiach? He was the first Baal Tshuva. Ruven was the first Baal Tshuva. How come he couldn't make Yehuda? Yehuda, Mashiach comes from Yehuda. How come Yehuda wasn't, uh, didn't bring a Torah? How come it says Torah Moshe? Why? Why didn't he make, why? What's happened? Because Rabotai, for 210 years, no one cared enough about saving Am Yisrael to the point where he was willing to put his life on the line. Everyone cared. Oh, yeah, come over for Shabbat. I'll give you a ride. Here's 50 bucks to help you out. Yeah, everybody cared for each other, you know, Chaverim. But am I willing to die for you? Not a chance in the world. Not a chance in the world. I got a family, I got kids, I got everything. Leave me alone. You die. Why should I die? It's not a natural thing to be willing to die for somebody else. Hashem says, until somebody's willing to die for my children, I'm not going to save them. Moshe Rabbeinu was the first one in 210 years willing to die for Am Yisrael. That's why it's called Torah Moshe. That's why it's called Torah Moshe, not Torah Yeron. That's why it's not called Torah anybody else. It's Torah Moshe. Why? Moshe Rabbeinu will to die for Am Yisrael. So now we see that everything that's any good, that's eternal in this world, must have Mesirut Nefesh. Must. Your tzedakah, your ma'asel, your things that, in essence, you're giving, there's no chokhmah if you're giving it whenever you have plentiful. You have money to burn. You're like the mafia. They have money in attics and there's rats already eating the money because there's nothing they, can, they can't deposit in the banks. They can't deposit the cash in banks. They, mamas, they fill up houses because of all their drug money, the cartel money. They fill up houses full of money in the walls, in the attics, in the, in the sheds everywhere. But it doesn't change nature. So what happens? The rats start eating the money. The rats start eating the money. They have to start using the money. But in today's world, no one uses cash anymore. Hence the reason why they love Bitcoin, Schmidtcoin, all that stuff. Because it's one of the ways they can wash money. That's also why they like diamonds. It's one of the ways you can wash money. 
If I wanted to move a hundred million dollars from the United States to, I don't know, the Netherlands or something like that, if I don't have a bank account with a hundred million dollars, I have a serious problem. Why? Taking a hundred million dollars in bags, I need a team of people. Forget about security and cops and machine guns. Forget about that. Talk about, let's say it's a safe world. Hypothetically speaking, it's a safe street. Let's see. Anyway, you want to take the money. You need duffel bags. You need trucks. You need a plane of your own. And still there's security, there's taxes, there's tariffs here, there's tariffs there. By the time you get to your destination, you have three bucks left. They say, hey, you can buy Starbucks here, sir. Yeah, what happened to the other $99.9 million? Ah, we don't know, sir. We don't know. No speak English. No speak English. No speak English. No speak English. We don't know. Now, if I wanted to do it easier, I take it all, buy a diamond. Tiny little rock. Tiny little rock, put it in my pocket. I don't even have to put it in a safe. Put it in my rock. I put the little rock in my pocket, finished, 100 million bucks. Someone is stupid enough to pay 100 million dollars for this rock. And I know it, so therefore I'm going to take 100 million dollars from here to here, finished. That's why. Barabutai... There's no chokhmah if the money that you're getting is from cartel. If you're killing people for money. There's no chokhmah. There's no, you're not a big genius. You kill people by selling them drugs. You're not a big genius. You're not a big entrepreneur. You're not a, you're not a genius businessman. You're, you're, you're a thief and a murderer. But even more so for us, Am Yisrael, Am Anifchal. We need to know there's no big chokhmah to give tzedakah when time is good. When the stock market doubled. When uh, they're going to give you so much kavod that you're going to donate some money, they're going to put your name on the website. They're going to put your name on the uh, building. If that's why you're doing it, it's not tzedakah. If your tzedakah passes the checks, the checks in Shemaim, that means... It's only because there was mesirut nefesh. There was sacrifice there. It was hard for you. It hurt. Tzedakah is supposed to hurt. Tzedakah, again, tzedakah is supposed to hurt. If it's easy for you to give $100, that means you're not giving enough. If it's easy for you to give a million dollars, that means you're not giving enough. If your tzedakah does not require some type of self-sacrifice, it's simply not tzedakah. Not saying it's not a mitzvah, but it doesn't get to the level of tzedakah. Why? Tzedakah, tzedakah is a big deal. So now, to take care of the tzedakah, taking care of the poor, Hashem says, when you are having a difficulty, is especially the time where you need to give staka. When there's blood on the streets, I want you to give staka. When nobody has money to eat, including you, I want you to give staka. Why? It's going to save you in the end. Forget about saving them. I could save them, Hashem says. I think I need you. He says to the Prophet Chagai at the end, at the end of the prophet, he says, Mine's the money, mine's the gold. I need you. Kili kol he says in the, in the five books of Moses. Sefer Shmot. Kili kol everything is mine. I think I need you. 
The tzedakah, who? You, the giver, not the receiver. The giver. If 20 bucks is easy, you're not giving enough. So here we already see, we have to double check our tzedakah. Why? Most of the time it's easy. Most of the time we only give when it's easy. Yeah, I got a spare 20 bucks for you. I got a spare. Spare, you have extra money. Where's extra money? Yeah, I got, a, I got an extra five bucks. I got here's five bucks and 20 bucks and 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I got, yeah, yeah, sure, it's no problem. If it's no problem, it's a problem. If it's no problem, it's a problem. Barvid u bashvid, mutsay shvid, mutsay achag, shibikol shana mishana. In the fourth year and the seventh year, in the year following the sabbatical year and annually at the conclusion of Sukkot festival. Sages are saying that these four periods, a special caution must be taken to provide for the needs of the poor. These are specific times where a person needs to know you have to be extra careful with your treatment of tzedakah for poor people. This is not the time to be cheap. It's not the time to be cheap. What you're going to hear at the end of this year is going to shock you and how it connects from beginning to end. Right now we feel like we went to do two different shurim. We talked about crazy rabbis, Mashiach, Gogu Magog, this. Now we're talking about staka. What happened? You'll see at the end. The Gemara Masechet Megillah Page 4b, it says, learn the matanot le'evyonim, the mitzvah for Purim, the gift to the poor, is a major commandment of Purim. But it must always be given on the day the Megillah is read. Why does it have to be given on the day of Megillah is read, the matanot le'evyonim, and not like a week early? Maybe they need to buy costumes for their kids. So give it to them early, no? Maybe I don't have it now. My check clears on like three days later. You know, some people tell me, yeah, I want to give you tzedakah. I'm going to give tzedakah. Give tzedakah. Don't give tzedakah. What are you telling me about it? Everybody wants to advertise that they're going to give. Give, give. Don't give. If I depended on you, I'd starve to death. Some people think, no, no, no I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. Okay, give. Why are you telling me you're going to give? Give already. No, no. Can I call you? Can I call you? Why? Why? What are you thinking about cashier? This is what I've gone to? This, I've, 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 I've lowered, uh, this is what I've come to. I went from being a, uh, a Wall Street tycoon, now I'm a cashier to collect your tzedakah, give, give me your credit card number. This is what you think of me, why give me tzedakah then? Why you call? Why do you need to call me? It's on the website. Hashem gave us a tool, it's called a website. You go put the numbers over there, finished. If you don't know how to use it, just send an email. If you don't know how to use it, take a picture of your card and send it. Why do I have to talk to you? What happened? It's because people want notoriety. They want you to know, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. And one rule I have, I never talk to anybody about tzedakah. You want to give, give. You don't want to give, don't talk to me. I don't care. It doesn't make a difference to me. Not because my ego is bigger than the room, which it is. But because the reality is, I know that if I had to depend on you, I'd starve to death. I'd starve to death. That's the reality. People need to understand that if you want to give, 
it should be only because you want to give, not because you want to receive. If you want to receive, then you're not giving, you're buying. You're buying. We're not a store, we don't sell. You want to buy? There's plenty of stores out there. You could buy rabbis, you could buy books, you could buy buildings, you could buy stocks, you could buy Bitcoin, you could buy a lot of things, you could buy politicians. But Kiruv you cannot buy. You cannot buy Kiruv. You can be part of it, you contribute to it, you can invest in it even. But you cannot buy it. It's not a store, it's not for sale. But the Matanot Lev Yonim, the presents, the gifts to the poor, the Gemara says, make sure you give it on the day the Megillah is read. Why on the day the Megillah is read? Because the poor people know it's coming that day. And they plan their life accordingly. They know that that day on Purim, people give. The rest of the year, we don't know. The day before, the day after, the day this, the day that. We don't know. We don't know when they're going to give. I know over here it's a mitzvah, they have to give. Just like they have to put a costume on, it's a bigger mitzvah to give. The costume is not a mitzvah. If you only have money to buy a costume or give stakah, give them a tenot leiv yonin. Don't buy costumes. So, the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat goes deeper. Gemara Masechet Shabbat says that there is different types of ma'asir. There's different types of staka that you have to give, different types of things that you have to give. And At the conclusion of Sukkot, the Torah commands us to leave three types of... Uh, anyone that owns fields, commanded by the Torah to leave three types of uh, parts of the field, the shikha, the leket, the pe'ah, the harvest gleanings, the forgotten and drops, sheaves, and the corner of the field. The pe'ah. Not pe'ah nochit, not the wig. Same word, but it means something different. It means the end. So the Gemara asks, Gemara asks, why the Peah? Why is the Torah commanding us that we're going to give part of the field? We're going to give the Peah. We're going to give the end of the field. Why can't I just give the beginning of the field? Why can't I give the middle of the field? Why, if I'm going to be the one, I'm, I'm the one that's giving. I got a field that's worth $20 million. If I have $20 million, don't I have the right to pick whatever I want to give you? Who are you to tell me what I'm going to give you? Say thank you, I gave you, Bechlal. Say thank you, I gave you. Are you going to tell me what to give? I got a field, I worked hard. That's what people think. They worked hard, so that's what they have. I worked hard. Now I have a field. I'm going to give. No problem. I'll give you a part of the field. It's worth $2 million. I'll give you 10%. No problem. I'm not saying I'm not going to give. I can't choose what I'm going to give you. Why can't I choose? Why do I have to give you the end? The pe'ah? Anyone have any answer? Chazak? Chazak? 
Zak, first one is even better. Second one is good too. Complete both both complete each other. So the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page twenty three a, gives a chidush of all chidushim that shows that Torah is from Shemayim and not from any other place. Tanya Amar Rabbi Shimon. There's a breiter taught by Rabbi Shimon. Any time says in the Gemara, Rabbi Shimon means Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. On the account of four concerns, the Torah is said to leave over the Pe'ah at the end of one's field. There's four reasons of why you have to give the end of the field according to the Torah and not the middle, not the end, not anywhere else. It has to be the end. Four reasons. First one, it says, gezel anim. Because of the theft from the poor. Second one, because of the forced idleness of the poor. Third one, because of the suspicion. And the fourth one, on the account of the verse, you shall not finish off. So Rabbi Shimon says, okay, this all sounds fine and dandy. What does it mean, all this stuff? He says the first concern in regards to theft from the poor. This, the Torah prohibited us to give mid-harvest designation of the power, meaning giving him the middle of the, of the field. Why? So that the field owner will not spot an opportune moment to say his impoverished, uh, to say here to his impoverished relative. Meaning, if you have a choice of when to give, it's not the end of the field. It's, you give it whenever you feel like it. So what is the guy going to say? Listen, I have to do a mitzvah. I have to give a piece of my land to these people. But if I have the choice to choose when I can give them, then what am I going to choose? I'm going to choose when they're not around and my cousin's around. Hey, hey, Joey! Yeah, yeah, I'm giving the pound now. I'm giving the pound. Come, come with you. Come now. Come now with the kids, with the wife, with the dog, with the cat. Bring everybody else so there's nothing else for anybody else. Why? You're taking Hashem... And he gave you 100%, you gave the 10%, you make it like it's a mitzvah, it's not mitzvah. All you did is you transfer it from one pocket to the other. Hashem says, no, don't give it to your family. Give it to the poor. Now all of a sudden, your cousin is poor, and your uncle is poor, and your sister is poor, and everybody's poor, you're fooling Hashem? He says, this is gezel. This is stealing. From who? From the anim. Why? It belongs to them. It doesn't belong to your family. It doesn't belong to your family. Second thing it says, second thing, bitulanim, the end of the harvest, the peah has to be given, why? So that the poor need not continually sit and wait without knowing really what's going to happen. Meaning, like you said, just wasting their time. They don't know when he's going to give it. They're just sitting there from the beginning of the season. They don't know. Last year he gave it at the beginning. So we're going to be here at the beginning. But this year he decided, no, no, I'm not going to give it at the beginning. This is the best harvest I have. I'm not going to give it to them now. So then they say, okay, so we're going to be at least two. Second chapter. The middle. They got to the middle. goes, no, this is still good stuff. This is still good stuff. I'm not giving them my best stuff. This stuff, each, uh, each fruit, each vegetable, each this, each that is 20 bucks. I'm not giving it to them. I gave them the, the, the leftovers, the garbage at the end. But now you wasted all their time and they could have used that time going to different fields. 
going to different people. You tell, it's like somebody says, listen, come to, uh, call me tomorrow, call me tomorrow and I'll, uh, I'll give you my credit card, we'll donate. I'll give you my credit card, we'll donate. I'll come to my office. Some people say this. Uh, this big rabbi in Israel came to the United States, a good friend of mine. Kapat Avonot. Kapat Avonot. I don't know. I, honestly, I'm surprised Hashem didn't destroy the world in this moment. Big rabbi, Dayan, Talmit Chacham, Tzadik, Kadosh. But apparently, Hashem wants to give him some extra Kapat Avonot to make him college Kodashim Kanire. I don't know. Anyway, he came to the United States to come collect money. For, for Kolel, for Avrechim, families, and so on. <coughs> who are you going to go to? Ghostbusters, who you want? You go to rich people. <coughs> you go to rich people. You go to middle class people. You go to anybody who's going to listen to you. <coughs> Ideally, you want to go to one rich guy. He gives you everything you need. You go back home. Go back to learning. Go back to your family. Go back to your life. But such is uh, life. So anyway, come. Somebody says, yeah, yeah, I got this guy. Rich guy. Call him. Calls the guy, yeah, 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 come, come, uh, come in a few days from now. So the guy is all built up, he's waiting, ah, I'm gonna, this rich guy, I'm gonna go, this guy's got buildings, houses, this, that, do, 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 he's got, this guy's, uh, gvil, huge money. We're not talking about like, uh, so now, if you know you're gonna go meet a rich guy, you're collecting money, you act accordingly, you're, you're preparing, you allocate a certain amount of time to him. He's not going to be like the regular guy, you collect from him, just give me, you know, whatever he gives you, and goodbye, chazaku thank you very much, misha barach, and goodbye. No, you're thinking you're going to be in his office for an hour, two hours, three hours. You built your whole day for him. That's the fish you've been waiting for the whole time. He goes, he's prepared, he prays, he does gets to the office. And I said, okay, give me give me uh, some Torah. I want to tell me something. He starts giving me a lecture. Do, 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 lecture. Do, yeah, me, do, do, all the alachot. At the end, he says, very good. Gives him a bottle of water. Thank you for coming. He gives him a bottle of water worth one dollar. He says, thank you for coming. There's no bigger menuval in the world that exists in such a person. Because forget about the fact if you didn't want to give, it's one thing. You're cheap. You have a disease. You have a disease. You're cheap. Miskin, I feel bad for you if you're cheap. I feel bad for you. People that are cheap, it's feel bad for them. It's a disease. They're never going to be happy. It doesn't matter what they have. It's no different than Haman. Haman was the richest man in the world. He was richer than Achashverosh. The king, he was richer than him. Richer than Achashverosh. All the money in the world wasn't enough for him. Why? There's some Jew with long prayers not bowing to him. He always found a reason not to be happy. Always found a reason not to be happy. Cheap people are never happy. They're never going to have enough. Now, the problem is today, most people don't know that they're cheap. They don't know that they're cheap. They don't know that they're sick. We live in the sickest generation of, of history. And the biggest problem is we don't know we're sick. Why? 
How do you know you have a problem with money? How do you know? How do you know that you have to be cheap by default? By default, you must be cheap if you have this one problem. If you have one problem, by default, I don't care what you say and I don't care how much you say you donate. You're definitely cheap. How? If you like money. If you like money, you're never going to be generous. If you like money, you're never going to give money. If you love money, you're never going to share it. People don't share the things they love. No one shares their wife if they love their wife. No one shares their kids if they love their kids. No one shares their husband if they love their husband. No one shares their car if they love their car. If you love your money, you're never going to share your money. And anything you share is not really yours. It's something you don't care about. It's like uh, change. It's like the stuff you would throw in a drawer anyway and collect it after five years, you have something. Like in those mineral water bottles. Whatever you gave is not really, it's it's change, it's garbage. Why? Because you love money. And if you love money, you're never going to be generous. You have a disease. You have to cure yourself first. You have to cure yourself first. You're very sick. You're very, very sick. Why? You love money. I had a lecture one time in a Beknesset. I started talking about money. I told him, listen, one of the main things, if you actually want to do tshuva, you have to hate money. You have to be like what Yitro said to Moshe Rabbeinu. You want people to be. Uh, people that have Yerat Shemaim, but also hate money. It's part of tshuva. You have to hate money. Hate materialism. I'm not saying be poor. I'm saying hate materialism. Meaning don't be connected to it. Immediately, this is the, literally the first three minutes of the shiur. He says, ah, I failed. What is he? Is he? Is he? Is he have? Uh, is he a sav? No, he's a religious Jew, a religious Jew, probably the most religious in that particular shul. He says, "I failed right off the beginning of the shul." He goes, "I like money too much. Very sick. Very sick. We're very sick people because we love money, and if we love money, we're never going to be generous. If we're not generous, we're the opposite of Hashem, because Hashem is always generous." Hashem gives even when we don't deserve. If we're not generous, we're the opposite of Hashem. Are you surprised that he says that he hates people that are cheap? And that's the problem. If we want to cure ourselves, first we have to identify and diagnose ourselves. Identify the sickness. Identify the sickness. So here the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat continues and he says that if you waste that person's time, not only are you cheap, but you stole his time, you stole his opportunity to collect elsewhere. That makes you evil, not just cheap. Because now you didn't just take the money that doesn't belong to you that you're supposed to give him in the first place, but now you took away his opportunity. He had an opportunity to get it from somewhere else. You just stole from him. And that could have been his life. The third reason, because of suspicion. What suspicion, Rabbi Shimon says? שלא יהיו יוברים ושווים ואומרים, תבוא מהרה לאדם שלא הניח פעה בשדהו. So that the passerbys that pass by the field and see that there's something, if it was giving at different times, 
It says, let's curse, come to this man who did not leave the peah in his field. Meaning, if you're giving it at any given time, people are going to walk by. It's like, ah, this guy never gave it. You already gave it. But they don't know you gave it. Why? Because they thought that you give it at the end, but you already gave it at the beginning. So now, you're causing other people to say bad things about you. And the Torah says that if someone says something bad about you, if someone says Lashon HaRa about you, you also have to pay the deen. It's not just he that said Lashon HaRa about you has to pay. It's not just the person that heard Lashon HaRa that has to pay. It's you that have to pay. Why did you put yourself in a situation where someone has a reason to say something bad about you? If somebody said something bad about you, there has to be a reason. There has to be a reason. Why is there a reason? Why is there a reason for him to say something bad about you? Why did you give him a reason to say something bad about you? You have to pay the deen. So now if you, the reason why we say only the pa is at the end, why? So no one has anything to say bad about you. And the last reason it says, umishum bal tachale. Bal tachale says to finish the requirement of the account of the verse, this implies that the pa must be left over at the end of the harvest. So the Gemara says, wait a minute, all of them are at the end of the harvest. What does this one have to do with anything? He says, this Baltichale is actually the one we've been thinking about the whole time. He says, we have to make sure that it's at the end. Because if it's at the end, everyone can identify who gave the pe'ah and who didn't give the pe'ah. Why? Everyone gets to an end of their field, of their harvest. If there's a bunch of poor people over there collecting, we know you gave. If no, we know you're rasha. So don't tell people I'm a big tzaddik and you know how much money I donate. You know how like people always tell me, you know how much money I donated? You know how much money I give? I said, okay, so give $10 then. What do you want me to tell you? No, but you know how much money I gave in the past? I bought this and I bought that. I said, okay, good for you. What do you want, to, what do you want for my life? You're telling me all these things. Okay, you gave. I gave also. What, what's why you no, but you know how much I gave? Okay, great, you gave. Okay, but you know I gave, and I okay, so what do you think? You're patul? Is that what you're trying to tell me that you gave so much you don't have to give anymore? Is that what you're trying to say? Just say I don't feel like giving. Why are you giving me the whole story? Just say I don't feel like giving. Don't give. Well, it's good luck to you. People send me messages all the time. Listen, I want to do this. Can you call me? No, I'm not gonna call you. I have clients with millions of dollars telling me, listen, I want to invest a half a million dollars. Can you call me? No. We have to make an appointment. I'm busy. If I didn't call for a guy with a half a million dollars, you know I'm going to call you for 500 bucks? I didn't become homeless, Rabotai. Remember, tzedakah is your mitzvah, not the receiver's mitzvah. Not the receiver. Mitzvah. It has nothing to do with my giant ego. It also has to do with the fact that if the person, if you're making every single person that's collecting tzedakah from you come to your office, beg you, and you make them feel like they're homeless, it's not a mitzvah, it's an avera, it's a sin. You're better off not giving if you want all the show and the dance. You're better off not giving. If you want the name on your building, don't give bechlal. It's better off you don't give. It's not, a, it's not a mitzvah. 
And that's why the Holy Israel says the person needs to understand that if he doesn't plan on doing tshuva, if he doesn't... Literally, this I'm going to tell you what he says so you read so you don't think I said it and I'm just misquoting him. He says, the Holy Israel, the Holy Israel, Rabbi Israel Misalant, Allah wa Shalom, page 350 in Holy Israel. He says the following, Accordingly, if a person wishes to change his fortune for the better, meaning a person has some bad luck, some bad fortune, or he's looking for a deal to happen, and it's not happening, or the stock fell 80% and he wants it to rebound, he wants to change his luck, his, his fortune, he wants to do something special. So what do people do? They do different things. Some people give, some people put a red thing or a string on their hand. They do all types of crazy things people do. So all he's saying here, I'm going to tell you, beginning, middle, end, everything you need to do. Just so you know, accordingly, if a person wishes to change his fortune for the better, it will not avail him to merely improve his physical situation. Neither it is proper for him to petition the Almighty in prayer and supplication. His only hope is to rectify the ultimate cause, meaning to improve his spiritual side and the way of his soul. As Chazal tells us in Gemara Masechet Bachot, page 5a, if a person sees that afflictions have come upon him, let him examine his deeds. As it says in Echa, let us examine, let us search and examine our ways and return to Hashem. Once he does that, then let us lift up our hearts with our hands to God in heaven. So the Holy Sayyid is saying, he continues in the next paragraph, he says, everything is a miracle. Why should Hashem alter his method of conducting the world without a great and overriding motivation? Only when provided with an exceptional cause to do so, will he elevate a person beyond the strictures of nature. And this is in accord with the divine attribute of midah keneged midah. Translation of everything that I said. Bottom line, he's telling you, unless you do tshuva, don't bother praying, Bechlal. Don't even bother praying. If you think that just because you gave some money, that's going to change everything, and you're not planning on doing tshuva, don't bother giving. If you think that just because you're going to go to Beit Knesset, but you're still not going to do tshuva, that's going to change everything, don't bother going. Only thing is going to help us change the misfortune that we have Anyone that tells you otherwise is a liar. He wasn't bigger than Rabbi Yisrael Misalant. He wasn't bigger than the Tanaim that wrote Maseret Brachot. He wasn't bigger than Moshe Rabbeinu. He wasn't bigger than Echa, the, the prophet Jeremiah that wrote Echa. These are all sources of the Torah. It's not his opinion. It's, unless you're going to do tshuva, don't even bother. Don't bother. To such an extent that he says, it will not avail him to merely improve his physical situation, meaning just give some stakah. He thinks that maybe he's going to give some stakah and everything's going to go fine. He continues bank, uh, robbing banks. Neither is it, is it even proper for him to petition the Almighty in prayer. Meaning even him praying for Hashem to help him is not even appropriate. 
Why? You haven't even done tshuva yet. You want to pray to Hashem? You're still driving on Shabbat. You're still eating tarif. You're still a thief. You still haven't fixed a single midah in 40 years of life. You want Hashem to answer your prayers? Are you kidding? Hashem runs the world and He says it right here. He says what the Ramban was saying in Parashat Bo. Hashem runs the world with miracles. You want Him to change the way He runs the world and all of the things that you have in your life and you're not even willing to do tshuva? Are you kidding? Why? Because you said a few chatanu avinu pashanu, but you really didn't mean it and He's going to give you a blessing now? He's going to give you a kala? He's going to give you a husband? Because you prayed and you said a few words you don't even know what it means? Are you kidding? You think Hashem is a sucker? Anyone that tells you otherwise is a liar. So Rabbi here we see that even the tzedakah that we give has to be given in a certain way. Has to look a certain way, has to be in a certain way, a certain time, and so on. Now this was the first part of the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 23. But if you continue with the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, if you continue, you see some very, very interesting things. The Gemara in Shabbat, page 68a, continues what we already talked about 40 dapim ago. It says the Tanan klal amru bepea kol sheuochel v'nishmar v'gidulo min ha'aretz v'likato ke'echad. Says the rabbi stated a rule concerning the pea. Anything that is food and is protected and whose growth is from the ground and which is gathered all as one. And which one brings into the last is obligated in Peah. So what does this mean? The Mishnah is stating that it must be a food. Means that to exclude the aftergrowth of woden matter. When it says protected, it means to exclude ownerless crops. Ownerless crops... No one ends up protecting them, so it ends up being bad stuff. Things that are garbage. When it says its growth is from the ground, it means to exclude truffles and mushrooms. Because these species of fungi, they like roots. They lack roots. And therefore they're considered to draw their nourishment from the air rather than directly from the ground. And when it says gathered all as one, it means to exclude a fig crop. I'll explain what all this means and summarize all of it for you momentarily. It says when it says that one brings it to the last, it means to exclude vegetables. Like turnips and leeks and so on. What does this all mean, Pshat? We're not all farmers. We're not starting a farm next week. What is it relevant to us? 
Tachlis, right? That's what you want to know, really. Right? Now. I just I just read you Gemara to show you that I'm not making this stuff up. But really, what does it mean to us? We're not farmers. What does it mean? What's the chidush? It says, Rabotai, first and foremost, the rules of tzedakah, the rules of pe'ah, the rules of giving to the poor, unlike what we think, it's the opposite. People like to give to rich people. It's very easy to donate to the big organizations. They have a building, I'll get them another building. They have a plane, I'll get them a better plane. He's a famous rabbi, I'll make him more famous. He's famous in America, now I'm going to make him famous in Africa. He's famous in Africa, now he's going to be famous in South America, in Europe, in Russia, in Jehennam, wherever. I'm going to take, he's already good, I'm going to give him better. It's easy to donate to someone that's successful. It's easy to be a front runner. Hashem says, that's not the mitzvah. To donate to Rav Ovadia after he's Rav Ovadia, it's not the same thing as donating to little Ovadia. When no one knows him, he's a little Avrich. Someone used to donate a BMW, a brand new BMW, which in Israel cost maybe 10 times more money than what it cost in the US. To Rav Ovadia annually, every year. Rich guy would donate, I think it's like a million shekels, which is like a quarter million dollars, $300,000. To Rav Ovadia every year, brand new BMW. Rav Ovadia wasn't exactly a big driver, he would just give the car to his family. Now one day this rich guy that donates the BMW goes on a helicopter with his family, the helicopter crashes, everyone dies. True story. Now people came and I said, wait a minute. How? Doesn't it say that charity, Shlomo Melech says, charity saves you from death? No. It's not charity. Giving a BMW to Rav Ovadia is not charity. It's a gift. No one says gift can save you from death. Giving food to a woman that has a two-year-old that doesn't have anything to eat, that's staka. Giving Am Yisrael Torah when they don't have anything, no light, no right, no left, they don't know right, they don't know left, they don't know what Shabbat is, that's the kah. But to give to some big organization, to give to some big shul to expand, and now they're going to go from two buildings to three buildings, that's not staka. It's nice to give, Chazaku Baruch, but don't go up to Shammai and thinking, I, you know how much staka I gave? Every year I donated a million dollars to my shul. If your shul has that kind of budget that you are able to give it a million dollars and you're not the only donator of the whole place, it's not stakai anymore. It's a gift. It's a gift. Chasakubaruch on a gift. But if it's a bunch of avrichim, if it's a bunch of poor people, if it's the small guys, if it's the stuff that's not so popular, okay, now we're talking. So the Gemara is saying... The pe'ah is for poor people. The specific part of the land, the specific mitzvah is for poor people. But just because it's for poor people, let's not misunderstand. The Gemara specifically says, look, there are conditions of what you can give the, the poor people. And if you look at the details of what they are, you'll see that you have to not only give them, you actually have to give them your best stuff. Not just give the guy a sandwich and tell him, hey, listen, I didn't eat this last week, so he's leftover. No! 
You eat that sandwich for him. You make a mistake. Fresh on the spot. Not give him the little mineral water with some change in it. Say, yeah, good luck with your cola. I have maybe $37 I've saved here. Good luck. No. You take the $37. You give him the rest. That's the cut. That's the cut. That's the part that hurts. That's the opposite of our mentality. We think we're supposed to give the poor people the leftovers. Hashem Baruch is telling you, not only you have to give them, you have to give them the best stuff. Don't just give them any fruits. Give them the stuff that's not for available for everyone. The most expensive, the most precious, the stuff you want. That's what I want you to give them. That's the ka. That's the ka. Now, if you like your money so much, it's, you're never going to fulfill this mitzvah. You're going to live in this world 70, 80, 90, 120 years, never fulfilling a single mitzvah of tzedakah in your entire life. Why? You're sick and you're not willing to cure yourself. You like money too much. So here we see that a person can only give at specific times to the poor and not waste their time, not waste their money, not just give them anything, we see that there's even conditions of how to give them. So if we have to give the best goods to the poor, to the children of Hashem, kalvachomer to Hashem. Needless to say what you have to give Hashem. Now it says every day you read in your tefillah, in your tefillah, there are certain things that there's no shiur. Every day in shachrit, it says there's, a, there's three things that don't have shiu. Well, not three, there's more. There's a few things that don't have shiu. Meaning, the uh, sages are teaching us there are certain things that do not have measurement. It says in one of them, one of these things that doesn't have a measurement is the pe'ah. So, I had a chidush, Baruch Hashem. It says, why would a pe'ah not have a measurement? Technically, it's the end of the field. It exactly has a measurement. You know exactly where it is. You know exactly where it is. You know exactly how big it's going to be. Why is the Torah telling us there's few things that don't have measurement? One of them is the pe'ah. But I know it has a measurement. Because the Torah is not talking about the measurement in size. The Torah is saying that a person that doesn't give money to the poor like he's supposed to, and said no. The measurement of punishment for such a thing is immeasurable. Why? Because it has to be measure for measure. Punishment is measure for measure. A rich person will never understand the suffering of a poor person. Never. Rav Elchanan, Elchanan Wasserman, Alava Shalom, was one of the Gdolei Ador right at the time of the Holocaust. He went to collect money on a day that it was snowing and freezing. Came to one of his students. He told him, we need money for the Avrechim. We need money for the Kolim. We need money. Okay, it's freezing. It's like two degrees outside. Please come inside. And Rav Wasserman continues. He's outside, freezing. It's it. We have the money. We need the money. We need your help. Okay, okay, for the help. Come in, come in. No, but we need the money. We need the help. Please help us. Please don't leave us stranded. Ah, 
Okay, please, Kvodav, just I'll give you whatever you want. I'll come, just come inside, please, I'm freezing. Okay, now come in. And he went inside. And his Talmud was Ashir, rich. Gave him what he goes, Kvodav, I only have one question for you. Why couldn't you just tell me everything you said in the house when it was warm? He says, I wanted you to feel just a little bit what they feel because they don't have heat. They don't have heat. And you're not going to feel their pain if you're in a warm house. That's why there's no shiur. That's why there's no measure to the punishment of a person that's cheap. Why? Because you're never going to understand the damage you caused the poor person when you didn't give him. You're never going to understand how hungry he was. A rich person will never understand what it feels like to be starving. Unless they have special siyati dishmaya, like this one person, in the book Avat Chaim, he didn't write stories like Harry Potter. He wrote stories that he verified and saw and knew were real. The Avat Chaim tells a story that's mamash unbelievable. But it's real. He says there was a certain guy, from religious, loved learning Torah. Loved learning Torah. But there was only a mitzvah that he hated like a plague. What? To give tzedakah. Hated, he loved money so much, he had a rule in his house. Anyone that asks for tzedakah, we insult him, we abuse him, we do everything, we don't give him tzedakah. We don't give tzedakah in his house. Now, one time, a person would come to him, ask him for money, no interest. Not only that, he would eat food in front of them and not give them any food. Rasha, but learned a lot of Torah though. Learned a lot of Torah, became Talmud Chacham, but still as stingy as can be. People would come, say, oh, give me a chidush. The guy would start giving him a chidush, 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 expecting, hopefully at the end, at least he's going to give me a sandwich, I'm starving. He finished the chidush, finished telling the Dvar Torah for an hour, two hours. Okay, thank you. Bottle of water. Not even the bottle of water. Thank you. Mamash Rasha. One time a big tzaddik came after he hasn't eaten in three days. They told him, go to his house, maybe he'll give you something, he's very rich. He goes to his house, he's like, oh, okay, I'm about to eat, sure. They put the steaks, the this, the chulin, the chicken, the this, the ducks, the whatever, the whole house is over there on the table. The guy is drooling, he wants to eat the tzaddik, he hasn't eaten in three days. Oh, I didn't come for this. Came to hear Dvar Torah. So he's thinking, this is a normal human being. Okay, maybe he likes Torah more than he likes food. Fine, I'll let him eat. I'm going to say the Torah. And after he digests everything that uh, I'm saying, I can eat myself. He starts selling the Torah an hour, two hours, three hours. He's eating, he's eating, he's eating. He's not giving him a single thing. After three hours, he says, okay, can I, can I have some? No, it's not. You finished? That's not what I asked you to do. The guy, from not eating three days and having such a desire to eat, seeing all the food in front of him, started becoming like dizzy. 
And he saw that he can't tell him any Torah anymore. He told his Rishayim sons, take him, throw him out of here. They took the poor guy, the tzaddik, they threw him outside. The tzaddik was so overwhelmed, fell and died. Now the rich Rasha, the Avat Chaim says, one day has a business trip in a different city. And uh, he goes on his way, on his way, he stopped, he sees a demon coming to him and says, I'm here to kill you. He said, yeah, but I learned a lot of Torah. Eh? He started arguing for himself, don't kill me. And then all of a sudden, the last moment, he sees the tzaddik that died appear and says, I came from Bedin of Shemaim and I argued for you because you did learn Torah. Not to kill you. But there's only two options. One, they kill you. Two, you take this clothes that I'm going to give you and you're decreed to be in the exile for a year and the only place that you can eat from is your own house. Now once you put this clothes on, it's going to change your image. No one's going to be able to tell who you are. You're just going to look like a homeless person. Either that or you come to Shemaim and they'll do a different judgment for you. He obviously accepts the deal. He takes the clothes, the mystical clothes, the magical clothes, puts them on, and he looks like somebody else completely. Now, he has to go back home. He wants to eat. He has... Comes to the house, wants to eat. Like, what poor person? They throw him out. They throw stuff at him. Get out of here. Get out of here. We don't give money to poor people. They start making fun of him. He comes back the next day. Again, they yell at him, they kick him, they beat him up, throw him out. Third day, he's starving. He hasn't eaten in three days. Like, okay, what, what do you want? You want to eat something? You want to drink something? Come, come, come. Come over here. There's a puddle outside in the backyard. Come, we want you to drink from the floor. And he drinks from the floor. The next day, he comes back. I want to eat him, starving. Oh, you want some food? Come, come, come. Come over here. They give him the garbage pail. Come, come eat from the garbage like a dog. Now they learned this from who? From him. To be so evil, they learned from him. This continues, Rabotai, for a year. For a year they don't know where their father went, but all they know is they have this homeless guy coming and every day they're having a blast abusing him. Eat from the floor, eat throw up, eat, you know, food that went bad, eat, mamash, animal of animals. After, and every so often, he wants to break, he wants to kill himself, and the tzaddik comes back to him, and tells him, you're almost finished, you're almost finished, keep going. I fought for you in Shemaim, the tzaddik fought for him in Shemaim. Such is the schar of Torah. He continues and after a year it's time for him to come home. He writes a letter to his family 
that he's been away for a year and he's sorry that he wasn't able to contact them. He was very, very busy, but to prepare, he's coming home on such and such day. On that day he comes, everybody's hugging him. Abba, where are you? Wow, we missed you. We love you. Where have you been? I couldn't believe you. We couldn't talk to you. Oh, how'd you guys, how'd you guys uh, make it without me? Listen, we really missed you, but to tell you the truth, we had this homeless guy come every day. We had a blast with him. Don't worry, Abba. We didn't break the rules of the house. We made sure not to give him anything. And anything he got was just the waste, the garbage, the stuff that uh, we threw out already. The bad meat, the, 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 the food that we stepped on already, the, the water from the puddles, all the garbage, just to, just to have a blast. This guy was making us laugh the whole year. He goes, really? Let me see him. I want to see him. Oh, okay, he's going to come. He's going to come. All of a sudden, he goes, he hides, he puts the clothes back on, and he comes back to them. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, come, come. Let me show you to our father. They don't know it's him. They don't realize it's him. And they look, they see the father is nowhere to be found. They're like, ah, the father's not here. Get out of here. He takes off the clothes, comes back as the father. He goes, no, so where is he? He goes, Abba, he just came. Okay, we're going to go look for him. And this repeats itself three times. After the third time, he says, my children, watch one second. Stay here. Look who leaves and look who comes back. And everyone realizes what happened. And everyone wants to die. Why? They just realized that they've been abusing, insulting, and torturing him, their father, the whole time. And he says, I don't fault you at all for everything you did because I taught you everything. And there's no suffering that I ever suffered like I did in the last year, but it's all my fault. And from this moment on, there's no such thing in this house as my money. Everything is for everyone. And this house became a big house of Gvili, and people came, all the poor people came. There's a person that had some serious chuyot. What do we have? But the point is that he paid. He paid a heavy price, but still cheap considering what he did. Still cheap considering what he did. The Mishnah continues and says that in the fourth year of the Shemitah year for neglecting the Maaser of the poor in the third, in the seventh year for neglecting the tithe of the sixth. There are different times that are special times that a person needs to give to the poor. And when one curtails their sustenance by withholding their gift to the poor, this causes God to cease sustaining man's life, thus making him vulnerable to deadly disease. So people that think that staka will only help a person by saving his life, they should also know that the the Moshe Al-Masino, Rav Moshe Al-Masino, Amosonino specifically talks about this and he says, just like it could, it could save you from death, it could also kill you too. You give, it could save your life. Save your life. You gave somebody a hundred bucks, you gave somebody a thousand dollars, you gave somebody a million, whatever it was. You thought you did them a favor. In reality, you were decreed in Shemaim to have a car accident later that day. You said, oh, wait a minute, he just gave. Yeah, but he only gave 50 bucks. Doesn't matter. He gave 50 bucks. 
He gave it to somebody that needed without accounting, without this, without that. Give him another day. Give him another week. Give him another year. Immediately this pestilence continues following the sabbatical year for violating the laws of the sabbatical produce. The Midrash Shmuel notes that unlike earlier in the Mishnah where it speaks of the punishment following in the following year for neglecting the Maaser of the poor, the punishment for not allowing the poor to benefit from the sabbatical produce comes quickly. Immediately at the end of the Shemitah year. Hence, God delays punishment while awaiting man's repentance. Denying access to the fields or taking harvest for oneself, however, is an act of sin which elicits immediate retribution. So here we notice that these specific times that the, that the Mishnah specifically talks about, it says the punishment comes at the fourth year, at the seventh year. At the end of the year. Why? Because each time right before that was the time to do tshuva. You were supposed to do tshuva and fix your mistakes on the third year. You didn't fix them, you're going to get punished in the fourth year. You're supposed to do tshuva and fix everything on the sixth year. You didn't do it, it's going to punish you on the seventh year. You were supposed to do tshuva right at the end of the Shemitah. You didn't do it, you get punished right after the Shemitah. You're supposed to do tshuva right at Sukkot. Why? You had uh, Rosh Hashanah, you had Yom Kippur, by the time Sukkot comes, it's supposed to be Kodesh Kodeshim. You still didn't do Tshuva. Immediately after there's a punishment. Immediately after there's a punishment. Immediately after, market crashes. Immediately after, divorce. Immediately after, something bad happens. Guy gets sick, gets cancer, gets this. All of a sudden he feels a bump on his head, doesn't know what. So, almost finished. So here, it says that annually at the conclusion of the festival of Sukkot. Now, Shlomo HaMelech says, don't rob the impoverished. This Mishnah says that why is there punishment right after the, the end? Because you robbed the poor people. But like we asked in the beginning, if it's not theirs, how am I robbing them? Shlomo Melech says the same exact thing. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 22 and 23, he says, don't rob the impoverished, for God will take up their cause and despoil the life of those who despoil them. Meaning, you steal from them, Hashem is going to take from you. And then the Machzor Vitri and the Rambam also say, once Sukkot festival is over and all the agriculture work is done, either one has met his obligations or he, or he has robbed the poor of their what's rightfully theirs and will be punished immediately. Robbing the poor of their gifts seems to be a contradiction. So how, how do you explain this? How do you explain this? Rabotai, the secret to all of it is relatively simple. Simply put, nothing is yours. Nothing. Not the money that's in your pocket, not the money that's in the bank. Not the money that you made, not the money that you'll make. Not the idea that you had, or the idea that you have, or the one that you will have. Nothing is yours. 
nothing, zero. To think for a moment that anything belongs to you already is a mistake in the fundamental principles of the Torah. The Ramban in Parashat Bo says commentary at the last verse in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verse 16. This verse talks about the mitzvah of tefillin. And it shall be a sign, a ot, upon your arm and an ornament between your eyes for which with a strong hand Hashem removed us from Egypt. The Rambam says, what does the word ot mean? Ot means there's signs. What signs? Supernatural. Everything is supernatural. A person has no portion in Torah Moshe. That's what the Ramban writes. He has no portion in Torah Moshe, meaning he's considered 100% heretic. Apikos. A person has no portion in Torah Moshe without believing that all things that happen to us are miracles. Whether they're communal or private. Whether it's a miracle that happens to a lot of people, like Kiyat Yamsuf, millions of people saw Hashem split the ocean into twelve, or it's a special Ashgaha Pratit that happened to you, all of a sudden, two hundred bucks appeared in your account. This and this are both miracles. There's no such thing as big or small. It's all miracles. And not at all natural. There's no such thing as, oh, this is natural. It happened because, you know what happened? The bank made a mistake. And because they made a mistake, that's why the $200 is there. You know what happened? The, the Irma went, and it just, it went, and it destroyed the whole neighborhood, and it missed my house. You know why? Because my house is on a hill. And you know, the winds, they don't go on hills. It's hard for them. It's hard for them to go on hills. The scientists told me it's hard for them. And you start explaining things in a natural way. You know the tsunami, it has to happen. Why? Because there was an earthquake a week before. And you know if an earthquake happens, the tsunami happens. And that's what, and people try to explain how Hashem runs the world in a natural way. Ramban says, Kofel. There's no natural. There's no natural. Hashem is natural. There's no natural. It's not the way of the world. There's no such thing as the way of the world. No such thing. If he fulfills mitzvot, he'll be rewarded. If not, he will receive punishment. Apparently not what Y.Y. Jacobson believes. Everything is decreed from heaven. Now, what does it mean, everything is decreed from heaven? You guys have heard this a number of times in my shiurim. Everything is from heaven except the fear of heaven. What does it mean, everything is from heaven? Is my money from heaven too? I didn't see the transfer. Because it's not happening, so it's missing some money. I'm pressing the wrong accounts. Where, where is that? What do you mean everything is from heaven? Is my shiduch from heaven? Is my money from heaven? Is my kids from heaven? Is my dish? Why, every, what do you mean everything is from heaven? The Gemara in Masechet Chulin, page 7b, 
Says Rabbi Hanina said, No man bruises his finger here on earth unless it was decreed against him in heaven. What does it mean? A person that now is sewing something. He's sewing his shirt. He made a hole, he has a hole in his shirt. You know, you sew a shirt once in a while, you stick your finger a little bit. I know I went to uh, the store on Friday to, to buy some things for Shabbat, and I bought some flowers. There was some flowers, and I didn't realize that they still had the uh, things on them, the little thorns on them. And I grabbed the flower, I was about to give it to the cashier, and I grabbed the flower, and my finger, my mush, hit directly on the thing. Ah, like this, I, like a little, little scream came out of me. I wanted to throw the damn thing, but I was like, okay. Ow, and that's it, finished. Now let me ask you a question. Did that ever happen to you before? It happened, right? Did you think for a second, and do you think now for a second, that before it happened to me, and before it happened to you also, that there was a betin in Shemaim. There was a betin in Shemaim. Shmaya, Aftalon, Rabbi Akiva, Moshe Rabbeinu. There was betin in Shemaim. Over there they sat down, said, wait a minute. Today we have an event. We have to judge whether we're going to have the thorn from the rose that Yaron is buying his wife, whether it's going to prick him or not, and it's going to hurt a little bit. We have to make a judgment. What do you say? Yes. What do you say? No. What do you say? Yeah. Did you think that that happened? Do you believe that happened? The Gemara says it did. The Gemara says it did. A person does not hurt his finger. A finger. Without it being decreed from Shemaim. Decreed how? There's a bed din in Shemaim that decides every single thing that would happen, big or small. Including the little pin the little prick, the little thing that touched your finger and hurt you a little bit, only happened because the decree in Shemaim deserves it. Thinking otherwise, it's kifira. It's katze le katze. It's from court, it's, it's, it's not, there's no room for error here. There's no room for error. If we say, nah, there's no way that Hashem wastes his time on making sure that I got uh, this little thing on my finger, according to the Torah, that person is 100% a heretic and has no share in Torah Moshe. Now, of course, we didn't learn it until now. We have to do tshuva for this because we didn't think we thought that we're doing everything. We have to do tshuva. That's the point. That's the point. Rabbi Lazar says that the blood of the bruise atones like the blood of a burnt offering, meaning every time that uh, you get hurt, it's, it's, uh, it's a kapat avonot. But Rabbi added that only if the blood of the second bruising, meaning if you already have a bruise, and the bruise gets a second bruise. You know, like you have, you have a bruise and it scabs, and then all of a sudden you hit it again, and it really, really hurts. It's more sensitive the second time, because that's a real kapat avonot. It goes into the details. Now, this rabotai is the minimum of minimum of required emunah in Judaism. This is not high-level emunah. As distant as it is from us in reality, this is the minimum of the minimum to understand how Hashem runs the world 
that if you even dare ask, how I'm going to make any money, how I'm going to get a shiduch, how I'm going to survive this week, how I'm going to get to my job, how I'm going to fix the tire, how I'm going to make the sandwich, how I'm going to pick up... If you're asking those questions, you have a problem with the minimum of minimum. Because you're asking questions when you know that Hashem runs the world. So that means you doubt it. It means you're not sure. It means you're not thinking enough. We're not thinking enough. But also, it means that there's nothing in this world that's purposeless. Everything happens for a specific reason. Everything. Every single thing happens for a specific reason. Even your fingers. Your fingers are there for a reason. The Gemara Masechet Ketubot says, why are the fingers of a person similar to pegs? Why are they shaped this way? Why don't you have like, uh, like a duck feet on your hand? Why don't you have just one finger? Why is the fingers like this? And it says, if a person, you, see, you notice, you look at your fingers, your fingers, your point fingers, fit exactly your ears. Why? Gemara says, if he hears somebody talking inappropriately, he can immediately put his fingers in his ears and not hear it. Why? Because he's, then he's not a partner of Lashonara. But if you notice even more, look, his entire ear is, is, is hard. It's hard skin. So the, uh, this is, what is it called? Um, cartilage. cartilage. Except what? The little earlobe. Why is the earlobe soft? You ever think about this earlobe? You ever pay any attention to your earlobe? Chachamim did. So why is the earlobe soft? Why? Why is everything else is cartilage? Why is the earlobe so soft? He says, if needed... If the finger is not enough to shut his ears, he put the earlobe in also, for sure he can't hear them. Such is the deen of Lashonara. Such is the consequence of listening to Lashonara. To such extent, everything has a reason. Also, if you notice, you do Shema Yisrael. How you do Shema Yisrael? You take your fingers, you put them over here. Right? Now, when you cover your face with all five fingers, you should know that the reason why Hashem wants you to do it, because each one of your fingers has a name. And for those that like Gimatria, they should know that the numerical value of the biblical names for each one of your fingers, Boren, Ezba, Ama, Kmitzav, Ezeret, is 1124. This is the same exact numerical value for Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. You think this happened by coincidence? Everything is there for a reason. Now, we'll finalize with this. If you haven't done tshuva yet, this is the thing that made me do tshuva yesterday. Now, if you notice, this mitzvah over here, this whole thing was talking about the shnat shmitah. Where is it talking about Shnat Shemitah? It talks about it also in this parasha. It also talks about it in several places in the Torah. It talks about it in several places in the Torah about Shnat Shemitah. Now, one of the interesting things is that we have 
פרשת ניצבים. פרשת ניצבים, פרשת ניצבים talks about the מצווה of doing תשובה. דו תשובה עם ישראל There's a covenant between us and, and, and Hashem Yitbarach. But if you say, Shalom Yeli, I'll be fine. I don't need to do tshuva. I'll do as I see fit. Hashem will not be willing to forgive him. A person that says, No, no, I'll be, I'll be fine. I'll just do my own thing. Says that person does not, is, is, loses their right to do tshuva. Such is the punishment, as harsh as it sounds. Now, here it says several times, You will return to Hashem your God and listen to His voice. And then again it says, When you shall return to Hashem your God with all your heart and all your soul. Meaning, do tshuva, what's the problem? But here it also talks about Shemitah. Meaning that a big part, a big part of our tshuva has to do with our money. To such an extent that the deen that put Sodom and Gomorrah at the status of no longer having a right to exist was because they passed the law where you're not allowed to give staka. You're not allowed to host guests. Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Berdichov, when he became the head rabbi, he told him, listen, don't call me until there's a chidush. Meaning, don't call me for things that you know the rule for. Only call me for things that are important. One day they call him and say, listen, for the Rav, we need your judgment on the, we need your deen on this. There's a meeting. He goes, what's the deen? What's the problem? What's the question? He says the community is tired of all of these poor people coming to collect money from them door to door. So we want to make a special section just for the poor people. One day a week, instead of bothering everybody all, every day. He says, didn't I tell you not to tell me? Something that's old. I told you only new things. Things that you don't know. He goes, what for the Rav? This is new. It's a new law. He goes, no. This is the law of Sodom and Gomorrah. You wanting to shortchange the poor people? This is Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the parasha that has to do with Tshuva Rabotai Yekarim says that it has to do with our money. Now, for all of those that like to talk about Mashiach, you should know that the very next parasha, Parashat Vayelech, also talks about Shemitah. Continues. In Parashat Vayelech, it says, Moshe commanded them, saying, at the end of the seven years, at that time of the sabbatical year, during the Sukkot festival, when all of Israel will appear before Hashem, your God. Again, it reminds us of the, of the Shemitah again. But then it says, Hashem speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu. 
says, Behold, your days are drawing near to die. Meaning, give him your last drasha, your last message. Last parasha, you told him to do tshuva. This parasha, you remind him, I'm telling you, this is your last speech. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, Hashem appeared in the tent of the pillar of the cloud, and the pillar of the cloud stood by the entrance of the tents, and Hashem told Moshe, Behold, you will lie with your forefathers, but this people will rise up and stray after the gods of the foreigners of the land and whose midst is coming, and it will forsake me and annul my covenant that I have sealed with it. My anger will flare against it on that day, and I will forsake them. And I will conceal my face from them. And they will become prey. And many evils and distresses will encounter it. It will say on that day, It is not because my God is not in my midst that these evils have come upon me. But I will surely have concealed my face on that day because of all the evil that it did. For it had turned to other gods. So now Hashem tells Moshe, in essence this is, the prophecy of the end of days. This is what's going to happen with your people. You're going to give them your last lecture just so you know whatever they're doing now is good, but one day they're going to go and they're going to go against me. They're going to go against me and they're going to go against me to such an extent that I'm going to conceal my face. I'm going to let the enemy overcome them. It's the prophecy of the future. It's not happening right there and then. It's the prophecy of the disastrous wars. Now we talked about tshuva. We talked about how tshuva has to do with money in Shemitah. It continues with Shemitah in this parasha. And then it says, wait, 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 by the way, if you don't do the tshuva that I talked to you about originally, if you don't start treating your money as a tool instead of an idol, if you don't stop Loving your money like you love your everything else in the world's insanity and worship your money. This will happen. You will turn into an evil people, and you will forsake me. And what's the consequence? I'll hide my face from you. Okay, you hide my face from me. What does that mean, Rabbi Karim? This is the parasha that not only talks about future horrible events. Like Gogu Magog. This is the parasha that you will find all of the secrets of the Holocaust. The word Hashoah, this parasha. The word Hitler, this parasha. Eichler, parasha. Gas chambers, this parasha. All the horrible things you could possibly imagine and not imagine that Am Yisrael has gone through, this parasha. Why? Hashem says you have to do tshuva. Hashem says part of your tshuva is stop loving money. But if you don't, if you continue worshipping it, only bad is near. Eventually I'll take the money too. But that will be the least of your problems. That's what we see from this Mishnah Rabotai Yekarim. Hashem is not joking. He's telling you that there is a very, very precise way to do tshuva. It requires us to break the negative character traits, to break away from false, false speakers, falsehood in general. Ultimately, 
we have to disconnect from the material that we have. Not because we want to be poor or because we're going to become uh, collectors in the streets. No. But because now we appreciate things for what they are. They're all tools. Tools for Hashem Barach and the miraculous way that He runs the world. Once we realize this is just another tool that Hashem runs the world and runs my life, then I'm going to treat it differently. If I see that money is a tool, it's easy for me to give it. If I see that money is a tool, it's easy for me to invest it into things that have to do with Hashem. I'm not going to spend 10000 20000 30000 50000 on the car, but when it comes to helping another Jew eat for the month, no, no, 100 bucks is all I can do. Yeah, but you spend 50000 on a car with four wheels that gets you from point A to point B anyway, the same way as a $10,000 car. Why can't you give a, a woman that doesn't have any food more than $100? What's the matter with you? You like money too much. Oh, you're sick. Sorry. Hopefully you'll be cured. This Mishnah should cure you. This Mishnah should cure you. But, Rabotai, it's not an easy cure. It requires you to go through Serious, serious tshuva. Think about it. Meditate over it. Give yourself some tests. Give yourself some tests. If it's hard for a person to give, the Rambam says a, a good solution that works over time is give to a little bit to a lot of people. That gets you used to giving. But always remember, you have nothing until you give it to somebody. It's not worth anything unless you're able to give it to somebody else. If everything is owned and is in your bank account, is in your house, it's meaningless. No one cares about it. No one's going to say a story about you about how much money you had after you died. No one cares. But they will say, oh yeah, you see that Beknesset? He built it. Oh, you see that Sevatoah? He got it. Oh, you see that family over there with 25 people over there? Yeah, it all started with the one guy did tshuva. He got him to do tshuva. He got him to do tshuva. That's what they're going to talk about in Shemayim. Nothing about here. Who cares about here? Here ends. Here, two, three, four generations, no one's going to know you exist in the club. All those people that invest so much money into their buildings and their houses and their name and their reputation and their company and their brand. By the way, that synagogue that had your name on it, two generations after they took it off and they gave it to the next rich guy. Two generations later, they took your name off the synagogue and they gave it to the next rich guy that remodeled the shul. Two generations later, that building that had the university had your name on it, they took it off and gave it to the next rich guy. Why? What are you going to say? You're dead. No one cares about your opinion anymore. They spent your money. Yeah, but they agreed to do it forever. Yeah, I agreed with you, but now you're dead. Yeah, but we were friends, so? Friendship ended when you ended. Stop focusing on your brand and your reputation, all this shtuyot that people waste their life on. Stop trying to be rich with money. Start being rich with mitzvot, with meaning, with purpose in this life. The more you'll focus on that, the richer your life will be anyway. With or without money. 
But if you're only focusing on money, it doesn't matter how much you have, you will always be a poor little person. A poor nothing. That no one's ever going to care about. Especially in Shemaim. Why? You have everything but nothing at the same time. It's like the people that run in a gym. They're running, but they're not going anywhere. They're on a treadmill. 80, 90, 100 years, you ran, you ran, you ran, you got nowhere. Why? You kept everything for yourself, and now it's left, and you died. You expired, the money stayed. All the buildings with your name on it, who cares? Now they took it off, they peel it off. Your business card is irrelevant. I got business cards that cost me two, three, four dollars. For one business card. You think that means anything? Zero. I had, a, I had a logo that was world renowned. Everybody knew my logo. Zero. Company at one point was worth $50 million. Zero. Reputation is zero. Zero. Abutai, don't live your whole life pretending to be something that you're not. You have an opportunity to live a life. You have an opportunity to do tshuva and be a tzaddik or tzaddikah. That's worth something. That's worth a lot. If you can continue focusing your life on money and going to these fake people that tell you how to be more successful and make more money and make more money and make more money, then you deserve them. And they deserve you. Because you're both going to have the same warm place to share.